Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you if people send you the same generic conversation starters they message everyone else? Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Alrighty. Alright, what is up, Gypsy Gang? We are back for... I always say special, but this, I guess this one is special. Uh, This is with the newly crowned 2019 Dakar champion, Toby Price. Uh, And it's pretty rad that we just got him basically fresh off the plane yesterday. We were there with uh, cameras and and hanging out at the airport to see a really cool uh, reception of Tobe's landing and kind of this yeah massive crowd of people that uh took time out to to meet him at the airport obviously all the news stations uh today was a media day of phone interviews and then he came straight to alpine group studios uh to do this podcast which is i'm sure the last thing that he wanted to do but i'm very glad that he did it without a ton of messages um asking when toby would be on and i'm just yeah i'm stoked that he was able to do it for us uh so soon and it was a banger a lot of stuff went down uh and i think we covered a lot of ground with this one um so before we get into it just need to give a massive shout out to our glorious sponsors uh, first cab off the ranks maybe the only thing as australian as toby price is nobby underwear uh you can head to nobbyunderwear.com.au uh, and you can sign up for a new pair of undies every month delivered to your door uh there also is a pretty cool uh australia day design that i will be debuting at the infamous toby price uh pool party uh that will be going down this weekend for australia day um just gonna just gonna go on the internet real quick i just actually want to see it because i haven't actually opened my packet yet i've kept it under wraps um but yeah i'm pretty pretty excited to be repping those on australia day i've actually actually saved those ones um our next sponsor that we need to give a shout out to is the homies at boost mobile uh kind of not necessarily an ad i guess it is an ad for this one but i just wanted to tell you guys a story uh we've just moved into a new apartment here in burley finally and i haven't got the internet hooked up but what i have done is i've actually hooked up my uh i I went and got a 75 dollar recharge i put that in a usb modem i plugged that usb modem into 
my wall, like my Apple charger, and then it's just in the wall in the kitchen. And that's like literally what's what's basically providing internet for our whole house right now. So pretty keen to see how long that lasts just over regular use because like I don't use all of my data every month and with the data rollover, like I always end up with more. Um, so yeah, I'm just, I'm curious. I've never run out while I've been on Boost. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've never run like a whole house on it for a month. So I'm interested to see, I'll let you guys know, but, um, yeah, I mean that, that sort of goes to show how, how rad those plans are. I'm sorry for the noise. We've still got Toby in that here, carrying on. Uh, and yeah, lastly, I just want to give a shout out to the guys at Rival Inc. Uh, you can head to Rival Inc. Design Co. It is new bike season, which means new graphic season. Hopefully you uh, moved up. And if you're one of those C grade dudes like I used to be that has a letter in front of their numbers, hopefully you've just graduated. Now you're just a straight three digit dude. Maybe you're a three digit dude. Now you're a two digit dude. Uh, or maybe you've got a number one plate. Uh, but regardless, you can go to Rival Inc. and you can get whatever you need to make your whip look fresh. Uh, we're actually in the process of designing some Gypsy Tales graphics with those guys as well. Um, but yeah, that's it. I don't want to take up too much more time. Uh, you can go to Rival Inc. Design Co. and enter the promo code Gypsy Tales. It's either Gypsy Tales or Gypsy Gang. Try both of those. Um, I always forget. Um, but yeah, thank you very much to Toby for coming on. Thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, this was a banger and I am excited, uh, at the prospect of a, uh, a trophy truck podcast, which we sort of talk about at the end. Maybe we'll be bringing you one of those at some point soon. Uh, that's it for me. Thank you very much. Uh, and enjoy. Alright, so we are here with the now two-time Dakar champion, Toby Price. Ah, oh, thank you. Round of applause. Um, <laughs> nah, this is, yeah, like we just joked on the little Instagram live, this is the one serious chat we have <clears throat> a year, it seems. Thank gosh. Um, so, yeah, I know. It feels like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, you know what? I actually, like, I love to give you shit. But this whole broken wrist thing, and then you win, it's like, I'd be even more of a dick than normal. Like, normally I can handle being a dick at the expense of, like, taking the piss. <laughs> but this time, like, if I really took the piss, like, I would yeah. legitimately be an asshole. Because <laughs> yeah, you did good. You did good. You did good. Somewhere right? along the way, I did, did good, good, mate. But keep giving cheek and I'll choke you out, all right? So it's all right. I wish you could choke me <laughs> out. I'm still ready for that, actually. Oh God! What is? What do you do again? What is it called? Shoes it So I throw shoes at people. Yeah, that's the air right. Um, no, but but seriously, this is this is a massive one because I got the impression that you legitimately didn't think you could win this race when you left. You, oh. I, I got the impression that you would have been very surprised if you finished this race. Yeah, hundred percent. That's for sure. I I. Uh, said to myself I don't even um, don't even think I'll get to the halfway mark at one point there so I'm always hoping and you're all not there not like hoping but you're always wishing and you want to win the race for sure it's uh, our most important one of the year and the one you uh, need to do the best result possible and um, it's the one that kind of goes on your scorecard the best uh, for the best result for the year and starts a year off well so I left and um, yeah, I was sitting on that plane. I basically, I don't even think the wheels had left uh, Brisbane yet. And um, 
for sure it was just uh yeah i didn't know what i was putting myself in for so uh i kind of just set out that yeah if i could get to day three day four maybe i'd be pretty stoked and then just see what the risk did and where we were at with that and then um yeah we we had a couple of tough stages there on three and four and definitely the the thought crossed the mind and um but yeah we got to a few um uh compulsory fuel stops and that that we got to do and uh yeah some other guys that had some some issues for the day and uh got lost and uh we're still well within the fight there and in day three and four so it was just basically yeah had to grit the teeth and put the helmet back on and and continue on and then uh yeah i was planning to try and make the the halfway mark which is uh the rest day and um yeah we were just able to get the wrist to calm down a little bit uh in that day off and then uh yeah by then by the end of that rest day i just thought well we're at the halfway mark now we're only got to do that half again and then uh yeah part past the point of no return so it was just um saddle up and go again was it literally a matter of like every day was just like this new little mental thing that you got to you're like all right if i can just get to the end of this then i'll just see how i go and then you're like all right i got here so i could probably just go that little bit further and then you do that was it just this constant mind game to just tick those boxes and and push through the pain yeah pretty much it was just just trying to get through every day and just uh kind of sort herself out and um try and situate us in a in a good spot in a good area for the for the next day to to start um start the the pre or the next day of rally so yeah it was just uh it was it was a tough old slog every day just um seemed to to add up more and more on the wrist and uh more pain more torture on it and um yeah it was just a it was just a tough old slog and it was uh but yeah like everything the team was unreal they were unreal with everything and they they definitely weren't forcing me and pushing me to go and um they were they were more so saying hey that's probably enough like it's enough really? to, yeah enough to get on get over and finish the race and um yeah they but yeah, i don't know i just don't like stopping don't quit and um we just yeah just decided to keep lining up every day yeah it i mean and like it's like i said at the start like i love giving you shit and you know i do but like i saw the i saw when you came back from spain where you had the operation and like we saw the video that you sent of like the surgeon moving your wrist like it was a super legit wrist injury like if it was like a cracked ulna or radius and then you could have a bit of a cast on then you go out and you tough it out but this is like it's in the joint man and like for anyone that's done a scaphoid like i hurt my wrist with that poxy crash at ives at the start of the year yeah yeah and like <laughs> well you can tell that story if you want that's a good bit nah, of payback for nah, me I'm gonna um, keep my mouth shut and then like but murray still hurts yeah you know what i mean like that in that joint when you do damage to that that's a really big deal even maddie was joking that he always complains every time he rides with you that his wrist is sore from his scaphoid that he broke probably five years ago yeah so it's like that's a bad injury yeah well i hope i'm not gonna have that same issue five years down the track and Wouldn't still be have surprised that. bro you just did a 10 day rally on a broken wrist yeah i know so i've probably <laughs> caused some permanent damage um but yeah look we're, we'll, we'll get some scans and some x-rays and uh Luckily enough, we've got some good doctors in our in our corner over in, in Spain uh, through the Red Bull KDM side. And, uh, yeah, we uh, we know a few riders here in Australia that have um, seen a doctor, uh, Steve Andrews, here yeah, and Steve stuff. Andrews. So, um, yeah, look, we're, we're going to try and see if we can get an appointment there and um, just fire into it and just um, so yeah, take it as it comes, really, and see what the, what the outcome will be. So, 
yeah, at the moment it's just like, yeah, I've just barely got no movement with the wrist now. So it's, um, yeah, very, pretty much very limited um, to twist the throttle on and um, very limited to try and, yeah, get the wrist to, to bend down. But it's uh, just one of them things, it's the way it is. And I'm pretty sure every motorcycle rider's riding with some Been type of something. niggling injury along the way. And uh, we've definitely all been through an injury, that's for sure. But it's just... Uh, yeah, it's hard to try and put up with one from from day one, um, the start of a race, and and try and carry through. Mm. And so, people, it was you, you kept it pretty quiet. Obviously, like being a dude that's a front runner in the event, you're not exactly going to try and broadcast the fact that like how bad the injury is. But basically, to let people know, you rode, you did a road ride with Dad. On the what did you ride your Super Duke or yeah I rode my Super Duke basically for probably about 150 k's on tarmac basically that was that, so that's the first ride back that was like the first ride on a motorcycle so I had the injury uh, done the injury in Abu Dhabi um, basically the next day I went and flew out straight I was meant to fly home to Australia um, so I was I was more more cheesed off and everything and angry at that that I wasn't coming home um, to try and yeah get everything sorted and prepped and ready for Dakar so. But yeah, at the end of the day, I had a wrist injury and I had to go to Spain. So I uh, went and seen the doctor there and um, they threw me in pretty much straight away um, for the surgery. And yeah, put that, uh, I think they call it hex, hexcus screw or something, I think it's called, whatever. And basically just screwed the, the scaphoid back together so it wasn't um, wasn't spread apart or yeah, given it its best chance to try and heal, I guess, in three and a half, four weeks before the race started. So... The doctor there said he was confident that I'd start the race, but he said I can't guarantee what it's going to feel like yeah, after the 10 days of race. It's eh? just how you feel and yeah. away you go. So he, he's done surgeries on uh, MotoGP riders and stuff, and they've re- they've had the surgery on the Monday, and then they've raced the like done the practice and qualifying and racing and everything on the Saturday, Sunday, so like a week later. But that's playing with a, a a motorcycle that's on tarmac so there's no bumps and for and then, one day and for one day of racing so yeah they they said it was definitely possible to ride but um they just didn't know how long it would actually put up with the punishment so it was uh definitely no doubt in actually getting to the start line but uh yeah just the the biggest doubt was not knowing what my result would have been and uh I definitely didn't want to go over there and um, just try and finish a race and then be sitting back in 30th mm. place and whatnot. But then at the end of the day, yeah, you've got to, got to think about the health a little bit. But we're just every day that ticked off, we're, we're still in the in the hunt and in the running for um, being on a podium. We're in a top five. So, uh, yeah, it showed that we were, we we're still doing the right things. But, um, yeah, I still even till probably day eight, uh, day eight or maybe day nine like it was not really then until I started to think yeah we could we could still be within a chance to try and win the thing so yeah we just um just yeah like I say you just had to keep saddling up and try and get the job done so you did the road ride which is like probably 150 k's on the super duke yep. and then you did one day at QMP right yeah so just did basically one day at QMP um so we did the road ride the the day before, um, just to see how the hand would feel, what it would do, um, how it would flare up overnight. Because you were just, getting like it was real tingly and numb, wasn't it? Yeah, well, still at the moment, like I've still got like the the, the pad, I guess, part of the thumb. Um, I've still got yeah, a bit of numb feeling on that. And then uh, after the the day of road riding, I was just yeah, getting like a bit of a numb hand, numb fingers and stuff. So. It, 
I just thought straight away from from the start, just riding on the road, I was I was going to be in for a mission. Um, but yeah, I got back home and just basically did the same thing, just iced everything up and um, tried to relax and just uh, try and get a bit of movement back into it. Um, and then yeah, loaded the bike up for for the next day and uh, went out the QMP and. Uh, luckily enough, I made a call through to Stephen Gall. Um, he had a free day that yeah, he'd kind of uh, oh, he yeah did the wrist brace stuff. Did the wrist brace stuff and that with us. So he um, did that he, help in the race? Yeah, for sure. That you thing you can really feel it, eh? Because yeah. Kenny still runs it. <clears throat> I yeah, think on both so now. He, I think he runs them on both. So yeah. it's just, yeah, it it limits your movement. So it's it's not the the greatest thing to be trying to ride with on a motorcycle because you need a lot of wrist movement to ever how the the angle of the motorcycle is going to go so it was just um i i just knew if my wrist went past a certain point like backwards um if it just stretched too much it would have it would have put me out of the race straight away so um gawley come out uh, basically just uh, we we tried to ride just with some strapping tape first just to see how it would feel and basically i did five laps around qmp uh on the motocross track and um, the thing started to flare up pretty quickly so we then added a little bit more strapping tape just to try and make it a bit firmer and just see if we could get more laps uh, in, in that area in that direction um, which I think we ended up being about the same amount of laps was five six laps and then yeah that's when then Gawley pretty much brought out the the wrist brace and um, said well, we would we, run with this and just see how it goes so basically just kind of goes up the forearm a little bit and instead of just actually just putting a whole heap of load through the wrist it kind of spreads spreads the load from the hand up into the forearm so it just reduces the amount of movement and then um but yeah it just just took away that little bit of a a sharp stabbing pain of being like yeah pushing straight through into the handlebars and um yeah without that thing i think would have been virtually impossible because like they're in 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 the rally there you uh you, a lot of things can come up un, unknown and uh, if you drop off a dune um a bit further on in the talk we can definitely go into what pablo did in the last day yeah, yeah. um if i did that on day one or yeah, all the day day 10 for sure I, w- I would probably nearly be stopping right there so uh but then yeah a drop like that um you're going to do a lot of other damage as well so it's just yeah we just try to minimize um trying to basically take away as much as we could where we could and and um put up with it so like what was your headspace like on that plane over because there's definitely been like you have like the toby price winning dakar the first time you got third like it was sort of this fairy tale run for like the first two years and it's like, oh, this is a cakewalk. Like, this is just going to be my thing and I'm just going to win this shit and happy days. And then it, then the FEMA happened. Then it was a really tough year in between the FEMA. And then you bounce back for another podium. And then this year flying over, it's like, what was the headspace to go like, fuck, am I doing this again <laughs> in this same way? Yeah, 100%. That was pretty much it. I just... I don't know. I haven't really been able to start a Dakar perfectly, one hundred percent healthy. And um, well, would have been the what, so the first two years were you pretty healthy going into it? Yeah, the first two were not too bad. Definitely the first one uh, when I got the third, uh, we were definitely healthy and everything. But we we're just a new kid on the block, really, and um, didn't did, know. Did you go? Sorry to cut you off, but that, that first third that you got, 
Like, did you go all the way hard or did you have something in the back of your head that, like, you weren't really allowed to beat Comma? Um, it, it wasn't that it was, wasn't really allowed to beat Comer or nothing, but it was just uh, I, I I still had stuff in the tank uh, when I finished third that first year, but uh, I think if I rode any quicker than what I was for that first one, I probably may not have finished the thing. So it just uh, like I say, I was a new kid on the block. I didn't still quite understand the rally because before we went into that that first Dakar, I'd only done one other rally prior to that and two weeks of training and that was that was about it so i did two weeks training over in spain then went and raced morocco which was my first ever navigation race anywhere in the world and then um basically that then turned into yeah oh, you you've done well you finished i think i think it was like an eighth place finish there at the first one in, in morocco and like when you finished eighth, are you riding around pretty slow for like what you're used to because like my yardstick is Fink yeah like that's how that's where I've filmed you going your fastest and yeah. that shit is just like blows my mind pinned and what so it's like for you to get eighth at that first route like are you just literally looking around like where the fuck do I even go <laughs> you know what I mean like how slow did that feel to get eighth yeah like it, it 100% it definitely wasn't slow because um my very first rally, like I say, it still came down to the navigation. I didn't quite understand it and know it at that point. So I was still thinking, yeah, this is no problem. I'm just to take it like Fink and wide open full gas and I'll just catch guys and I'll see dust and it'll be all good. And I ended up making a lot of mistakes going the wrong direction along along the way. And um, so I, I probably lost a lot of time in, in the wrong direction, but was still... I was pinned and wide open, but then kind of then started to realise it doesn't quite kind of work like this. It's uh, it's more of a more of a strategy, and then also just knowing when you can and can't push, and mm. um, just trying to work it out from there. And that was about pretty much what I learnt from that first one. And then it was just you don't need to be at the front of the the front pack every single day of the race, and that was about it. So. Which then, has to be like a weird adjustment for you because oh. in the desert racing stuff, it's only about being out the front. Yeah, well, especially like with Fink, it's just basically with Fink and Hadar, it's like the quicker you, the quicker you can get the sixth gear um, and be pinned, <laughs> just stay there. then just wedge the thing and hang on to it. That was that. That's pretty much all I all I knew. So it was like, as soon as you try and transfer that into like the rally and and Dakar and stuff, it just doesn't quite work that way. So. You can start pulling gears and, and going for it, but you make one navigation error and then go three kilometres the wrong way. That, I guess, 30 seconds that you probably made on the guys um, being pinned and wide open, you just lost six minutes because you've gone three minutes one way, wrong direction, three minutes to get back. So then you've, yeah, you've totaled up the five and a half minutes that you've just lost to a guy. So. Yeah, it's uh, it's completely, completely different to think. You just um, there, there's times in Dakar that yeah, I you get to click top gear and wide open, and you're on a big straight stretch of road, and yeah, it feels feels like at home for us. But yeah, it's just got to be that a bit more moderation now. So it's mm. um, that's the biggest thing with it. It just never, never seems to to let up, and you've just got to yeah, take it as as easy as you can, but also still doing it quick, but. The pace in Dakar now is just kind of it's through the roof and quite stupid, really. Mm. So you get so then we're we're sort of talking about that first third place and it's like how much did you have in the tank and 
and everything. So it's like you you sort of did have more to go when you did get third, but yeah. you were cautious of where you were where you were going to try and put that pace down. Yeah, exactly. That's it. So I I, I was still pinned and wide open as much as I could be, but just losing time going the wrong way. And then, so then that just kind of situated me just back around that five to, to 10 positions every time. So that was, uh, that was where it kind of worked well for us to learn that first part of it from, from Morocco. And then basically it was just then to go into, into Dakar for my first attempt um, and, and what they so-called, yeah, the water boy uh, role. And um, so I, I basically, I had a stock standard bike that basically that anyone from um, around the world can buy straight off the showroom floor. With some cash. Yeah, with some cash, <laughs> some hard earned cash. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and we... Like our homie Troy from Black Butt. Oh, hell yeah. yeah Old Troy boy. Shout out yeah, to Troy. <laughs> Gotta give, you can, yeah, we can't do a podcast without giving Troy a yeah, shout Yeah, exactly. Out. <laughs> what do they call him over there? Wombat. He's just like... The great man. Yeah, the great man. Solid. But, um, yeah, so, like, my first Dakar then, as it was just rolling along, it was, like, uh, I think we kind of explained before, it was, like, it was kind of like I was just playing a video game and going along the course and just collecting coins and, like, how you do, like, it was... Like, it, like Sonic the Hedgehog Sonic, style, yeah. yeah. Sonic the Hedgehog and stuff <laughs> like that. And then, at the end of the day, it was just, like, yeah, okay, cool, I can go to the go to the KTM shop and buy some parts and stuff and just start kind of upgrading the bike a little bit and... As every stage went along, and I started getting staying like with the with the front group a little bit in that top six, top seven area. Um, yeah, they ended up like just, I, I got a set of factory forks, and then I got a set of so then I like got testing and as you were going, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. So like I, I knew from the the first few days, um, uh, the, the risk from on the stock forks, like I was kind of bottoming them out a little uh. bit and whatnot, and just yeah, my wrist was nearly destroyed in that first week in my first Dakar. Um, so then when that upgrade kind of came a little bit for the forks, it just yeah, gave me a little bit more comfort. And then, then we basically got a shock and then it was just, yeah, like a ignition and stuff like that and a better clutch and just bits and pieces like that started rolling onto the bike and making it a bit easier for us. And then, um, yeah, we, we ended up, yeah, getting through that second week pretty decent. And then, um, yeah, podium for that first year and that was uh, pretty much how it all then kicked off. So go back a tiny bit when Sleater came on the podcast so obviously he was testing for KTM for like 14 years yep and we had this big talk that I really enjoyed where he was talking about the best way for like a factory dude so say like you get Cooper Webb just sign a Red Bull KTM like what they basically do is give him Dungey's like champ bike yep be like this is the best that we've got and like this is the A package so it's like sort of taking a chick to like a super expensive restaurant on the first date yep but it's like gives you nowhere to go yeah exactly so like you kind of what Sleater said is what would be more beneficial to these dudes is like hey Cooper good work sign on the team here's a stock 450 spend like a week on it yep and then like just ride it see what you do like see what you don't like and then you can start to build the bike and then it like it gives the bike room to grow as opposed to like here's the championship bike we can change it but it's going to make it like maybe a little bit better maybe a little bit worse there's not that big leap of improvement yeah so like you kind of did that in your first Dakar then you like started with the stock bike and then you kind of gave those add-ons as you went along yeah like is that in your mind is that like a good way maybe not in a race condition though but in terms of like 
learning the motorcycle and what does work and and those like stock characteristics is that like a good thing to go through yeah i think so a little bit that's for sure it's um it's more extreme though because you were doing it in the race which is yeah that's it that's like it's it's not like they they sent a bike over home here and then i got to ride it for a week and then then Mm. i like make any changes and stuff like that but for sure if you've got that period and that time that yeah you can get a stock bike and then start from there and then just like basically build that foundation which will build that motorcycle around yourself um i think that's where it kind of works the best but like it's at the end of the day like it's it's also good to then to get a championship bike given to you straight as what straight away as well and see kind of like what is what's possible what's possible and what worked for a previous champion and then basically building building from there so it like it, it just comes down to i think then like for them guys, I don't think really too much changes like in the motor, um, wheels and tires and stuff yeah. like that. That all pretty much stays very similar. But for for them guys, it's like a, a, the biggest change is like the handlebars and like foot foot peg positions and stuff. So those options to us are like it's possible. Like you, you if you want your foot pegs five mil lower and two mil further forward or two mil further back, it's they, they'll make another frame. Um, to accommodate for that for you to go and test but then you can just say then that feels feels worse or it feels a bit better we should probably then maybe halve that and do something like instead of going and they'll just make another frame again so it just it never ends like that's that that comes to the forks and shocks they have five different forks and then five different shocks and then they just like every time you come in they basically it's a, a five minute change and they'll put new shock new shocks new forks in and you go out straight away so it's like it's not like you can sit there and get not kind of like let your mind wander and drift off and mm. forget about what kind of like the previous setting is it's just like you're on one setting straight onto the next and then you can feel the changes like straight away which kind of helps um but then yeah like i say you can like linkages and stuff like that that there's so many different options you can have and different length pull rods and different yeah um different areas that they can make the the linkage work better in other areas but worse in in some other cases so it's just it, it's it's a never-ending process of what what you can actually try and achieve um with the bike so it never mm-hmm. it never stops but so for what like Dungey was using for sure i think by looking at it i think size wise like cooper webb's probably a little bit smaller in height so for sure i think his setup is going to be a bit more compact instead mm. of where Dungey was a little bit taller and it's probably just opened and spread a little bit more so but that's the thing yeah you can with the factory teams and with all that stuff there's there's just endless endless options and changes you can make have you do you reckon you've got better at testing because of the car stuff or is it hard to translate nah yeah like the car stuff doesn't really translate through onto the bike so what about just the mindset of it though because like especially with the the team triton stuff yep where like because that that seems to me like there's a like you really have to know the data and know the breaking point so like of like that off the data that you get you know like i'm too early on the brakes here i'm I'm not on full gas here sort of thing but like yeah has it the mentality of like having to answer questions about the cars do you reckon it's translated at all or is it just so different that it doesn't really <laughs> yeah like it, it's so different it doesn't really translate too much like it's it's so from 
to put it into three categories basically of being um, road racing of stuff I've been doing with, with Triton or the team Triton guys mm. and with Mitsubishi um, to then going to trophy truck stuff where you've got pretty much yeah like over a metre's worth of suspension in that thing um, to then going on the motorcycle like the 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 track for the guys for us like in the in the Triton it, the track never changes like it's it's the only thing that will change is either the like weather temperature can temperatures and, shit, yeah. and stuff so for sure if you're in the middle of the day the track temperature is going to be hot so you're going to have more grip but then at the end of the afternoon if your race is at three four o'clock in the afternoon track temps down so you're losing grip on tires so then it then comes down to sus- like suspension set up to try and accommodate for that but you've got data loggers basically in that car that will have all different like pressure sensors and stuff all around for your braking your throttle um everything like that so once you do your race you can come back in and then they can basically just look at every lap you just done and then they can find your best lap and then tell you and pinpoint exactly like where you hit the brakes where you hit the gas when you change gears you change gears too early too late like it just you can you can look at that data on a on a screen and it kind of it's 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 not like it's not dummy proof like it doesn't teach you how to drive and and tell you the way to drive mm. like you've still got to do that stuff yourself but you can look at turn five that yeah okay i've come in but i've hit the brakes basically a car length too early which then I, I, i've lost a thousandth of a second there um coming into turn five and then, but I got on the throttle early to try and accommodate for it. And then, but then I've lost grip and then the car's pushed a little bit to come out. So then I've come off the gas, but then it, then it tallies that I've lost like th- three hundredths of a second just in, in one turn. So that data there, it can kind of show to you straight away, like what you're doing wrong. And then you can just accommodate it and fix it. So I think now with the Supercross guys, they've got, uh, is it the Moby? No, whatever that oh, little thing lit, that now sits. Lit Pro that sits yeah. on top of their helmet. So it's not down to. It's not as complex. It's not but as it's starting complex, to get there. but it's starting to yeah. go that way. So they can basically do the same thing. They basically do a Google image uh, map track of, yeah. of the track, and then they can then basically just start putting in sectors. So they'll put it into four sectors. And then just every lap gets timed and then they can then come back and say, okay, so on lap six, you come out of that turn in third gear, click fourth, went through the whoops and you had two kilometers an hour quicker Mm. by the end of the straight. But then the next lap, you didn't click fourth as early or you clicked it late and you lost that time. So it's kind of going that way Um, and they're, they're starting to to follow that direction a little bit but to then go to rally you we we can't really take that technology with Mm. us because you're just going into vast unknown lands we don't know what's coming at us we don't know what really is out there and what's going to be coming towards us you're never really going to ride the same thing twice like on a supercross track you can lock into that groove it's like a slot car yeah it's like a slot car and that's it so you you try and get into that that groove on a motocross track or motocross track, supercross track, and it's it's just basically a replay, and you're always on that track, always doing it. But we we virtually never touch the same ground twice mm. um, in Dakar, and that's why we can't really take that stuff across with us. So it's just it just comes down to you and the machine and navigating well, and then uh, putting it all together. So this year, 
obviously it's now a 10 stage event as opposed to what was it before uh, it, it's changed like a lot since the first it's one been, done. So it's, it's like really changed yeah so we the very first one I did I think it was like about 13 possibly 14 days so it was like a two week rally um, and then just over the years it's just kind of the race is just starting to get harder and harder to, uh, to like put logistically. on logistically logistics wise and then on top of that and then kind of um, the countries are just it, we, we're racing in third world countries so it's to try and say we're going to bring a race biggest race in the world through Argentina and, and Bolivia and stuff the the government has to they, they are forking in some money towards the, to the event and for a promotion and to get it all up and running but they've uh, like I say they're third world countries and they're starting to go well we can't really quite afford to keep this keep yeah, this up like, for the next so how they've do been, we justify it yeah that's it they have, like how do we justify the race coming through is it really giving a bigger impact on our on our country and, and bringing in the return what we're putting in so um, in the last few years like yeah we're starting to lose a few a little bit of kilometers we've started then to lose days and then uh the to now say in in 2019 from my first one was 14 13 or 14 days i can't quite remember but it was around 10,000 kilometers um we now came into this rally in 2019 it was 10 days of rally and we did just over 5,000 kilometers but on top of that also we were in sand dunes so this this is the other part of it that's basically for sure this this has definitely been the toughest rally that we've done i think because being in sand dunes the whole time they pretty much calculated out that one kilometer in sand dunes pretty much equals three kilometers uh on a like a wide open open field of desert so where you can be wide open and full gas so that then basically it turns it into about so it's still a, a thirty thousand k rally instead of yeah 10. like it's 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 still still it's five thousand kilometer rally but it's still probably tallied the same amount of kilometers and distance as what the first mm. one is of being 10 yeah. 10 000 kilometers so it's just as difficult that's for sure it does it lose something do you think like because that i mean the footage of you guys going up to like you know what what was the highest elevation this year wasn't too much no, like, like in the other ones like the, the, that you've done yeah in the in previous ones we've done um going through like Argentina and, and Bolivia and stuff sometimes we're, we're sleeping at altitudes of about three and a half thousand meters um anywhere up to four a bit over four thousand meters I think so it was see that that to me that, is like special about Dakar yeah you know what I mean like that it's so extreme that you can you can go from like freezing cold to boiling hot yeah super high elevation sea level sand dunes coastal you know what I mean like yeah 100 does it sort of lose a bit of uh, does the event lose something by not going there do you think or is it just different it it loses a little bit by not doing those certain things for sure but this year yeah like i think our highest elevation was like two and a half thousand meters so still at then you can still feel the difference a little bit with the motorcycle it still loses a little bit of horsepower you can still feel like you're, you're breathing a little bit heavier but like when you are at four bit over four thousand meters you you feel a difference big time and that's like the the biggest challenge is yeah like um the other guys in the team um and other teams you can be the fittest guy there you you can go and say you've run 30 you can go and run 30 kilometers and do it in record breaking time but 
you get up at four, four and a half thousand meters, um, the if the body's just not, uh, it's something you just can't train for. Like if the body doesn't like it, it's it just it's well, never going to like it. Like, Jason Anderson's it. like that. Like every mm. time you, every time the series goes to Colorado, like Ando's in like a serious risk because he has yep. like some kind of health problem. Yeah. Where at elevation it just jacks him. Just, so like yeah, he yeah. basically can't race Colorado. Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, the body just it's doesn't gnarly. like like racing there. And then he for sure is like one of the fittest yeah. dudes of, of Supercross. So it's yeah, that's what I mean. If the body just doesn't like it, it's it's there's really no training for it. Like you can go and sit in an altitude tent for. Yeah, thirty days straight, but it's it will probably give you one or two percent better chance of putting up with it. But mm. if a guy like like I say, you can be like myself, or you can be the biggest dude of the rally and get up at four four and a half thousand meters, and you can just be sitting there like a normal dude and do everything like you'd normally been doing, um, and and not feel a difference. So it's like. For sure, it's got the body's going to feel a tiny bit different being up there, but it's um, the body like everybody's di- everybody's body is completely different, yeah. and they just react in in different ways. So it's uh, like you say, Ando just has yeah, has a lot of trouble at, at Colorado there. So it's just one of them rally or one of them races he just doesn't like going to. Um, does it feel safer though now? that it's like kind of all dunes does it feel a little bit more controlled and you're not going through as many countries like bolivia obviously you had that delightful experience in their hospital like do you do you feel like even though maybe it's taken away with some of like the the spectacle of the race but is a little bit safer now no it doesn't feel any safer the rally stuff it's never safe like it like I said, you, you, we're just we're basically trying to do any from anywhere from 30 kilometers an hour to 160, 70 kilometers an hour into terrain. We just don't know. We just don't know what's coming, and that's the biggest uh, the biggest issue with with sand dunes. It's just the the road books they can't make them mm. completely accurate because overnight we could have a windstorm come in that could just completely change the whole track that they've went and what they call recce um, of the whole thing. So the, the the zero car could have went through and checked it all and then the day before it just had a windstorm and then just completely changed the whole thing. Like the there could be another drop-off that's not in a road book and you, you, you just can't mark them. So that, were, that was what was the biggest kind of concern was is just missing one of them drops um like pablo did and yeah and then really so is that what happened to him do you think that that was just different to what it was on the road book or was he just trying to send it because he had to uh like it's a bit of both like it's um coming into that last stage we're both yeah um within a chance of winning winning a dakar rally and uh, a minute and two seconds spread apart um so for sure i knew that day was we're both going to be at a full send mode um but like i know exactly where he had that crash like riding along that bit of the sand dunes there it was just like it looked like a flat nice big plain field of sand it was fairly compact um the other guys had been through earlier uh so because they do reverse order reverse Mm. grid with the cars and the bikes and stuff so um so they start from pretty much the last place bike and the last place car and come through back to first place where then the the first place guys crossed the finish line last so the the sand was a bit churned up there was there was lines and stuff there that we could see but you to me when we were when i was there um 
I can't, all I saw was the helicopter was on the ground and was I thought to myself it was a bit stranger because normally always the helicopters are always in the air or uh, a helicopter's only there if someone's injured or hurt mm. and um, so I started to kind of go towards the helicopter a little bit because I thought that that was the lines had kind of spread a little bit so I I went to the right but where we were it just it looked like it was completely flat and you could have been wide open so. Like I'm really surprised, yeah. Pablo didn't go off that thing wedge, as you can see in the in the video. Like he does hit the brakes a little bit, the front dives, and then and then he tries to then he tries to it, yeah. yeah to try and resave it and thinks yeah it's all good, but then like then it was just too late. Like he really just had to commit and go, and um, yeah, that was a that was a long old drop. That was uh, not a not it wouldn't have been a pleasant um, pleasant hit, that's for sure. So if the chopper wasn't there and you didn't see the chopper, would you have followed that line? Do you think? Hard to tell now. I'm, yeah. I, I'm kind of hoping I wouldn't have, but because um, that would have that, sucked. Yeah, that one would have would have finished That'd me have in the last rally, day. Yeah. That probably would have ended my rally for sure. Well, it it almost pretty much ended his. Like yeah, he's ended up now with a with a broken ankle um, that he's already had surgery on and and trying to get back um, back to 100. percent So, but I think the they were saying he's anywhere from a three to six month period where he's going to be out with that, with that injury. So he seems like a good dude too. Yeah, from yeah. everything that you see, like his yeah. personality and stuff. Yep, yeah, yeah, he's yeah, good dude with the rally and stuff, and um, yeah, definitely knows how to swing off it. And that was like I say, we're coming into that last day a minute and two seconds apart, and um, yeah, you, you'd be crazy not to to try and have have a crack at it and send it like he was, I guess, because that was. That would have been his first backer rally win and, and and a first for for Husqvarna. So it was all or nothing. That was um, he definitely gave it it all and um, unfortunately just didn't didn't work out. And that was uh, no, yeah, it's never good to see. Wait, basically by the time I was at that June where he dropped off, I was over to the right a little bit where the line I was going to take where I could have been actually wide open, full gas, and no problem. But you just you just never know what's going to come up over those ridges and those rises and so every every now and then when you are by yourself in those areas um you shut off and then you get to the top of it and you look and it's completely flat and smooth and you, then you're angry at yourself you're just like why'd i back off it's yeah i should have just been full gas wide open and then you come across the next one do the same thing you, you just can't see what's on the other side and then you have this exact same thing a repeat and you're like oh damn i should just been wide open then the third one comes along you're like all right bugger it the first two were good just swing off it and go next thing there it is and it it jumps up on you so that's that's the the difficult part with the dunes and you you can't make a road book completely accurate to Mm. what's there so they can only kind of give you like a a double caution for saying the next four kilometers the the dunes can be can be dangerous (laughs) um for four k's, yeah, for four yeah. k's. So it's like, yeah, which rest of the time's in fine. between there yeah. somewhere, there's going to be one June that's going to probably <laughs> take you out of the race. So it's like, all right, it's a lucky dip. Let's have a bit dig, put your hand in the in the can, and just hope. Yeah, we we pull out the right number. So when you rolled up, because obviously there's the footage of you rolling up to see him on the ground. Obviously, you're making sure he's okay. What was that conversation like, or did he just sort of say, "I'm good"? Like keep going or what was that interaction because obviously you can only see like the heli footage of it yeah that's it like basically when i got to him yeah for sure he, he'd hit his head pretty hard like as you can see he dropped off and Dude, then basically massive. just massive massive hit so 
the shock that basically, yeah, I guess it came through through his, all his feet, and I'm sure he would have his head slammed. Well, a, you could see like the yeah, bang, like was, he whiplashed on that thing, and there's like a dash on those bikes. That's it. Like <laughs> you, he, you headbutt one of them things. It's like just it's like walking up to a wall and just smacking your head into that thing as hard as you can. So they're solid. Like yeah, we've we've had some really decent crashes and haven't even snapped one of them towers off. So. They're, they're like I say, they're solid, and um, yeah, he when I when when I came around and seen a, a bike was laying in, there was two guys. I was like, thought to myself, oh, that's strange. Like, surely it can't be Pablo. And then I was like, well, it wouldn't be really too many other people. Like, the, for, if it was somebody else that was starting in front of us, like a slower guy, mm. he'd already be off the track and gone. So I kind of like rolled over, thinking, it's who who is it? And then then I saw it was Pablo's bike on the ground. I was yeah just the first part of it i think from the footage yeah, you can kind of see i just like shook my head a little bit like you just couldn't believe being it being bummed i just yeah. like i can't believe it's him like on the ground and we're only 10 maybe 11 kilometers into the the, the last stage which was 112 kilometers so um yeah kind of just more so i was just like shook my head just not can't believe it's actually him and then and then pull up beside him and yeah like i say he was dazed he was eyes were crossed and didn't really I don't think he was registering too much of what was happening there where he was and then um basically I, I just tried to keep yelling at, yelling at him and the guys were talking to me saying yeah no we've got him mate he's all good he's all good you just keep going and I'm just like I'm trying to yell at him mate are you all good you're sweet Bubba you're like, alright so you can and hear just, it from him not just to them, hear it from yeah. him and not from them um but like I say yeah he was he was definitely a bit dazed and a bit confused of where he was at I'm sure and um yeah, so uh, basically he kind of gave a little bit of a nod and was just like starting like trying to see you feel like I think he just yeah like you say he just got coming look, back a around good, good old whiplash and neck was sore and stuff and then so yeah basically uh, it like to, to the helicopter footage it felt like I'd I'd sat beside him there for about twenty seconds but then the mm. helicopter footage shows it was like about three four seconds but. That's what I mean. When you're stopped out in the middle of there in the middle of nowhere, sometimes the time just feels like it's it's so long. But um, yeah, then basically he, he kind of gave a little bit of a nod and he was there and he was like, he looked okay. Like I didn't know the extent, like whether yeah he'd broke wrist or broke ankles or whatever and stuff like that. And then um, yeah, we're just after the guy said, yeah, we've got him. It's all good, no problem. And I knew that he was in their hands. And then it was just all right. We we got to. I've still got 90 odd, 95 k's myself to do, so we uh, better get back to the job and, and um, see if we can seal it off. But it's uh, yeah. Then then watching the footage, um, seeing me take off, it kind of looked like I roosted him a little bit, which looked like a bit of a dog move. But I promise you, I didn't mean to do that. It was just soft sand and trying to take off and then trying to turn to get actually the way we needed to go. So. Yeah, if he if he watches it, mate, I promise you I wasn't roosting you as I was leaving to take off and yeah, rub it into you a little bit. But well, that's the one thing that I actually noticed from the footage is that yeah, like when you take off, you can just see a bot just dumped and you're out. But then when Pablo goes to take off, you can see that angle for whatever reason really shows you how hard it is to get the bike going. Which yeah. I that that to me, I was like, holy shit, like. That's a struggle just to take off in that shit. Yeah, in in those dunes and stuff like, basically the the tire we have we either use a like a desert tire, so it's 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 kind of like a based off of like a bit of a, a road style type tire with like yeah smaller knobs and uh, for that stage we did have like a, a bit more of a motocross tire that uh, Michelin do make for us now and it does have a little bit taller knob on it and a little bit more spread apart, but 
when they're, I think, for that stage, because it was 112 kilometres, uh, we still probably have around 25 litres worth of fuel on board with us, um, where our capacity is about 30, 32, 33 litres full, um, and we're only 10 k's into it. So there's still weight, a lot of weight in fuel. Yeah. There's still like the three litres of water in the bash plate. Um, then plus myself, I'm a, I'm a big guy on the bike, and then all our riding gear. 145 kgs. Yeah, 145 <laughs> kgs. Hey, but I passed old Sam Sunderland down that beach, no problem, he mate. He noticed that, didn't he? He noticed it too, yeah. and he tagged it and said 30 kilos extra, and I passed him, so I was all right. But um, yeah, that's the thing. It, 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 it is just, it's just hard to even take off in that stuff with those bikes because they just, they're so heavy. They're 100 and probably, yeah, full of fuel, fully loaded with everything. They're probably about 180 kilos worth of bikes. So, as soon as you dump that clutch, the thing just wants to bury. So it's like, yeah, you got to do a little bit of a little bit of a dog paddle, I guess, and try and keep the thing moving, get a little bit of speed to then get up on top of it and get get moving. So it's um, it's hard work on all the bikes, that's for sure. It just uh, it adds adds uh, a lot more stress on the motors. It, it must have been a weird feeling to see Pablo down, and essentially he's out, you win, like basically, unless you fuck up. Yeah, but. but you know you i know that you wouldn't want to win just because he did crash and i don't think anyone's doubting the win in any way but like for you personally as a competitor obviously he's a good dude yeah it, it must have been a weird feeling like do you remember what was going through your head when you did let's say the first five minutes after you left the site of his crash like do you remember what you were thinking yeah, well, it's like after I took off and that, and then and got going and saw he crashed. It was like, oh, like I was just like bum for him. It was like at the end of the day, yeah, for sure. I'd hope the result would have still been the same, um, first, second, and third, where we were situated, like with that minute and two minute, minute and two, two second gap. Um, I'd still hope I would have come out in front, but um, and then still him being on the podium in second and whatnot. But after yeah, I took off, it was like geez did that just did that just really happen like did did that like is the race just about to fall kind of into my hands and then uh i'm i've just sort of finished this stage and 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 then i'm I'm all good but like still from uh what was it first second and third so uh walkner was in third basically i think he was about six and a half minutes behind um my overall time so he was still within a fighting chance of winning the overall as well. So it was like, I took off and I'm like, yeah, sweet, I've, I should I should have this all sorted and just as long as I get through and hit all the waypoints and um, just cruise through, I'll, I'll be fine. And then, then I then kind of clicked and went across to that scenario that, damn, Walkner's only about a bit over six minutes behind me. So if he's on a charge, if he's pushing for the day, um, maybe he might make that six minutes up and then take the win away from me as well. So it was like, then then it kind of kicked in a little bit. Then I just started wrapping it back on in full throttle. And then then it was like probably another five kilometers later, I was like, no, nah, I've just got to just gotta calm down and just relax and do my own race. And whatever happens will happen. And, that's, and that was about it. So um, it was actually quite funny, uh, probably about... Um, would have been about 20 kilometers down the track from where Pablo crashed. Um, actually, Robbie Gordon, the badass that he is uh, of off-road racing all around the world, 
um, he was parked out there with his uh, basically his side by side. So not too sure what he was doing, um, but yeah, he was still on the track on the course and then um, and and sitting there. And um, then when I I started coming up on these side by sides, I just thought they were broken down and and sitting there and. Um, next thing, yeah, it's like Robbie Gordon just comes out and walks out, and he's just like using his finger, just pointing to to his head, just to say, "Hey, oh, use, like use your smart, brain, be smart." Like yeah. you, you've kind of you've kind of got the race, and then, uh, but all I can pick pick and from so that. And so, do you think he's like looking at live timing or something like that? No, nah, nah, he, he or he him, just knew the gap or whatever that Walkner come through. Yeah, so he would have known the gap that Walkner yeah. was coming through. And then basically, like, yeah, you, you can just have a normal watch on and just see the, yeah. the see the separated times because they, they know we all start three minutes three minutes apart, so that doesn't change between the the top ten. Yeah. So, as Walkner's gone through, he's probably just looked at his watch, took a bit of a rough time, and then mm. waited and waited and waited and waited, and then Pablo didn't come through, so he was like, "Well, this is a bit strange." And then next thing, all of a sudden, I'm coming. He's like, well, she's oh, it, it's, it, it's kind yeah. of kind of over. But then he's must have like looked at the time at the at the watch, and then yeah, like I say, just he just pointing at his head, just to say, hey, use use your head. Um, so that that's about all I can take from Robbie so, G coming through. Robbie with the G, goods. yeah, mate, Robbie G, mate, he is a lord for <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. So um, yeah, well, we we just charged on and kept going through the course, and, and then at the end of the stage, after it, it all finished, I caught up with Robbie again, and he was like, "Mate, it's so good to see you come through," and and that's like that's your second win for Dakar, and uh, this is unbelievable feat and whatnot. He goes, "Yeah," but he said, "By the time you went past me, he said like you was well, that then probably would have been about 25, 30 kilometers into the course, I think, because." Like I say, yeah, Pablo crashed at about ten, and then it was about twenty k's later. I saw him, so yeah, about thirty k's in, he said like. To, to Walkner I'd pretty much already made a minute on him by there so uh, um, but like I can't like he doesn't have a pit board he don't have a yeah, sign to say hey you, yeah, yeah you're like you're, you're plus one minute yeah. so um, yeah so it was basically he was just like hey, you went by by the time you went past me you said you already had a minute so it was you, you were golden you're all going good and it's no problem and he said I was just kind of hoping that yeah it all kind of fell my fell, fell my way a little bit and um but yeah, like I say, in saying that, like what happened to Pablo could have easily happened yeah. to me in the remaining part of that course that we had for the day, and then I could have handed the win away to someone else, which would have been been Walkner. So it was, um, yeah, that's it. You just you just never know. Like the only time you kind of know everything's going to happen and work is when you're about probably. 400 meters from the finish line um of every stage and uh, then when we cross the line they have basically a board there with a time on it so uh my race number will come up so number three and then it will uh say the actual time of day um and then it will say like the the stage time and then it will give like the overall position so from um it'll say like one slash I think by then it was like 78 like motorcycle riders still left in the race. So when I crossed the finish line and then saw the board and it said one slash 78, I knew then I'd won the stage. And then that Which was means, means I, won the race, the, yeah. I won the race. So it was, uh, if I saw that board and then seen, yeah, six or seven, um, panic stations would have kicked in a little bit thinking okay what the hell did everybody else just do in that yeah. race and did i go that slow that i've just now blown it for myself so 
you just you just never know until you you make that finish line and um yeah then the guys come over and just said congratulations you've you've got you've got the win and you got it done so it was uh that's when it then kind of all just started to go yeah hit me in the face and um yeah started to sink in a little bit just get that happy days party mode going happy day Australia day party day we're yeah. on do you wait pull this a bit closer Sorry, she's mate. drifting no, that's drifting right. drifting away keep going what do you want me to choke on the damn thing or what it's deep throat <laughs> um so when i went to bed that night because da- i was like i was gonna stay up and then i was like nah fuck it uh <laughs> oh, of course yeah 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 thanks for the support nah, mate gypsy really- tales are the greatest supporters of all time yeah <laughs> cheers guys no nah, i really i was trying i was just tired to be honest um just flat out bro <laughs> yeah, you're the busiest man I know for sure. Yep. Uh, but I said to dad, dad was still on the couch, and he's like, "Oh, I think I'm gonna try to stay up because like mum would like literally be like, first thing. Toby did this, Toby did that, which like, I I feel like all of Australia is really. But yep. I said to dad when I was going to bed, I was like, "Look, man, like it's a hundred k's. Think is two hundred and forty, and he can just hold it wedge for that whole time. But there's got to be." There's got to be a part of like Walkner, Pablo, and Sam. Like they they know about Fink. Like they've seen the oh. videos. We've put it out there. Like it's been well documented in the last few years. Like the shots of you racing that race, like that's some bullshit. Yeah. And that's 240k. So like in my head, I'm thinking like when you when you're going into this last stage, 100k's, and you've got a minute on these dudes, like. They've got to be going like, fuck, I have to do something special to like pull back any time. You know what yeah. I mean? So it's like, and I, and then I watch Pablo crash. Obviously, like he, it's checkers or wreckers really for him. Like yeah. it, it sucks he didn't get on the box still, which yeah. it is obviously, that's the risk that you take. But like, I, I, I wonder how much of Fink plays on their minds because that is your specialty. Like that is your event. Yeah, look, a hundred percent. I've I've shown the guys numerous clips from Fink, and um, at the end of the day, it would be amazing to see some of these guys come over and and have a crack at Sam Fink. Sunderland. Where you yeah. at, Sammy boy? What is happening, Walter, Pablo? Any one of these guys come over and have a crack at Fink? I would just tell me what you think of it. Like it, just be in it um, and write it and and have a go, and that's about it. But. They've seen the footage that I do there at Fink and they watch a footage and then just basically just grab the phone, put it down and just go, that is one thing that I will never do in my life. Like, it's just ridiculous. It's stupid. So, um, yeah, to, to hear them guys kind of say that um, basically kind of gives some reassurance that, yeah, the outright speed for me is like really, really know. good. They, they know. know. They, they know, that, yeah, they know I don't mind swinging off it and not too stressed. But like, like I say... If uh, if there was a role reversal of like me being perfectly one hundred percent healthy and uh, in second place and uh, a minute off an outright win of Dakar for sure as hell I'm going to swing off the thing and give it everything I got. Um, you double in some and, of them dudes. Yeah, it's it. You just try and double some of them things, and it's probably going to end up the exact same way. But um, it is the biggest race for the year, and that's the one you definitely want in your hands. And that's like. If that one drop wasn't there, um, it could have been a different play out. Pablo could have won his first one and then I could have been in second. So it just, uh, like you say, it comes back to that checkers or wreckers. And that's, um, yeah, I'll, I'll, sounds crazy, but yeah, you'd, 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 you'd easily wreck yourself 
to try and win a race for sure, no problem. And that's that's what it's what it come come down to, and what we'll what we're we'll both fighting for, I guess. Is there times like it's so long, like it's five thousand k's? Is there times in there because like that clip of you and Sam that Red Bull posted that oh, it was so sick, but yeah. that to me looked like two dudes that almost forgot that there was a race going on and it was just like riding with your best mate yeah. and just sending it because the the sand was wet it looked like you could hook in yep the the, the like the lighting's perfect like that look that's why red bull obviously they pumped a bunch of cash into promoting it yeah because that is an ad for life as a two-wheeled dude as a two-wheeled dude how many places are like left in the world that you can be wide open full gas down the beach there's like there's really not too many places in the world now that you can ride your your bike by the beach and on the sand by the beach. So it's uh, that that's why that footage I think kind of took off and went pretty massive through Red Bull and everything. But um, do you remember that? Do you remember that moment? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, make, I remember making the pass on the sand because um, we we came out of like this little small Rio little riverbed type thing and then basically then dropped onto the dune uh, onto the sand onto the beach. Um, I think I was about the fourth guy, maybe fourth, fifth guy, um, to be in basically a line. So the guys, one guy kind of checked out in front, then I think it was Sammy Walkner, um, and then I think one other guy, I can't remember, but I remember, yeah, just basically, I don't know, I just, I, it's, it's very strange, like you say, because like, these other guys probably yeah like they are about 30 to 20 to 30 kilos lighter than me um so that spot that area should be a little bit of a disadvantage to me so a little bit lighter on the on the sand and and cruising along there where you can be wide open full gas um those guys should have been probably checking away from me so uh to then yeah just mow past one of them then past walkner and then basically yeah the the guys just see me moving forward and then the helicopter is in the right place at the right time and then um yeah i was just able to show sammy i've got some traction and away we went and just went past him so it was uh i i yeah i do i do remember making that little bit of a uh the outside move on him there and um he yeah basically when we got back into the camper he was straight onto it he says man he goes i don't know what the hell we were doing on that beach he said like he said i thought basically as he because he posted on his instagram saying that like yeah i thought i was swinging off it and killing it at life and next thing this 30 kilo dude that's heavier than me but whatever and just yeah makes you look like you're you're doing nothing like you're not even on the throttle so it was like i can't remember his exact post but it was it was somewhere along the lines of that and then um he's just sitting in the in the camp and just kind of like shaking his head laughing at me just going like what the hell am i doing wrong how, how, how did i lose time to a big big fella like going along the beach there so that's a yeah that's the with that race you just get to experience so many different areas and places and spots that it's uh yeah one minute you're on the beach running down the down the dunes there flat out and next minute you're up in the mountains and um yeah riding along a bit of a fire fire trail that's been pushed in by a dozer and you're climbing a mountain to get across the thing so it's just so many different things in the race which is cool are you in race mode though like say let's talk about that that pass like because to me like say if that was me and maddie or like me you and todd riding down the beach like you'd be smiling under the helmet like ah. do you, were you like did you have a smile like can you are you or are you just in race mode to where it's just full concentration because nah, like for sure there it was I, I was smiling for sure so it was um 
we were into a, a section like that beach section from memory was probably about uh, 18 kilometers um, along that beach we had that run so once you turn onto it and then you kind of look at your road book and go all right sweet I've got like 18 kilometers uh. of fun coming like there, there was no all you have to do is stay along that beach there's no navigation there's no no thing it's basically then the only thing that you kind of got to look out for is like if you've marked your road book correctly of like a, a danger or something like a like the the ocean or something's washed out a bit of, like a bit of a sandbar or something and just like got a big square edge hole and if that was there when the zero car went through to give you that danger mark but um, once you get on there and you just go, all right, I've got 18 k's of fun and chaos and carnage with me mates that I'm just riding a dirt bike with over here in Peru. Um, yeah, it was just swing off the thing and just see if the big guy could catch the guys in front and we were able to mow them down. So it was cool. It, it must be crazy with like, like in just in this one conversation, you go from like so tense and nervous and this means everything this is the one race you have to win but in that same race there's like these mini segments of just like full paradise which yeah. is that beach thing which like yeah, that sure. must is that is that what makes dakar so special yeah for sure that's it like the the previous part to that um to that stage for sure is just high stress high levels making sure you're following all your caps hitting all the right roads um hitting all your waypoints and stuff but then there are certain sections in the track that like like i say that 18 kilometers there was no waypoints there was no no caps to follow it was just we we knew we had to follow along the water along the beach and um yeah that that was like it's kind of like yeah you're still wedged and wide open but that's just your one point where you can kind of let your head cool down a little bit from yeah basically steam coming out your ears from trying to do all the navigation calls and and go the right way but then also just yeah stir the boys up and have some fun and, and ride down the beach together and be tapped and wide open so it's uh it's one of those things as soon as then you turn off that bit of beach and you're back into navigating and doing your calls again that's like your 18 kilometers of break where you can kind of just regather yourself kind of think of where you where you'd been and then just try and then remember where you where you're going into the next part of the stage and that was that's the best part about it for sure so obviously like the wrist is jacked it's hurt you're in a lot of pain but what's like the hardest thing about that injury apart from just the pain and right like was there something like was it the attention that it bought was it the people that kept mentioning it like what was outside of just the pain of the wrist like what was the hardest thing that that bought to you do you want yeah. a red ball because we can grab a couple yeah I might grab one of those for sure um in that organic cola organic cola yeah i'll go for that thing um yeah like it's uh like is there something that was harder harder about the wrist that just like obviously aside from the pain of it yeah like for sure i 100 percent like trying at the end of every stage it was basically not so much it was annoying but you just as soon as you pulled up and a camera was in your face you knew exactly what the first question like have that was the biggest thing i'd rather like like anybody not know about it like if i could just hold a straight face and have no mm. put up with the pain for that five minutes while the cameras are there and then just right off then be you know, screaming in agony 
um, if I was just like able to hide it away from everybody and nobody knew nothing on it at all, like for sure it would have been a, a better situation. But it was just everyone knew from it. We we did. There was a release from from KDM when it actually happened and, and it kind of went down. Um, that yeah, we didn't do the wrist and where we didn't know where we were going to situate. Would and where you we have at. rather keep it quiet and like not do that release? Because it's like Mate. kind of a double edged sword. Because like if you don't do the release, then and you suck. Yeah. Then people are like, oh, what the fuck's what on happened? Toby? And then you go, oh, I had a wrist injury. There yeah, you go, oh, and you're making you go, excuses. Oh, whatever. Yeah. Um, so, like, for sure, it would have been good to try and keep the thing quiet completely. But as everyone knows, the motorcycle industry is very damn small. Um, as Like, as soon as any one person gets a hold of one little bit of information, um, the, the, the motorcycle community knows within probably half an hour. Like, it's something will go out somewhere that yeah you're injured and, I, and I, I think already like once once I did the injury in Abu Dhabi I think it only realistically took one day for somebody to kind of really kind of know and, and figure it out that there was something wrong and um, I think yeah from there um, like even like I the doctor that was doing the surgery um, one of his patients that he was doing a surgery on he spoke to them. Was like, ah, oh, blah, 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 and everything. I'm doing these surgery. Oh, and I've got to do one for Toby Price. Blah, blah, blah. He's like, can I come in and get something cleaned up? So from that one patient, I think it was like, uh, I think a friend or uh, mm. a family member or something. Actually, it was while I was waiting. We're at uh, me and Geordie were just waiting for my appointment to come up. We were down at Starbucks and just chilling, having a coffee before we went in for the chaos for it all to kick off. And then um, next thing, the guy comes down and sees me sitting in the in the in the starbucks room waiting and that and he goes oh yeah he said i just i just heard you're gonna have a have a surgery soon like what's what's going on and it's like from already from there it's just like all right this is not gonna this is not gonna be kept on the wraps too damn soon so then it was like all right we need to put something out very soon like to, to get just, ahead of it just to get ahead of it before yeah. like this rumors just took off and went like yeah. whirlwind so yeah we um every that then like the release kind of went out like it, it had to go out and there's there's no no stopping that it's just the the way way it is and um you kind of got to let the world know a little bit what's going on and um yeah but like the like i say at the, the end of the part of every stage was like virtually every time you had that camera in front of you it was like oh toby tell us a bit about the stage how was the wrist yeah and it's like Yep, 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 yep. It's the wrist is, fucked. It's destroyed. Like, at the moment... <laughs> same as yesterday. Like, yeah, it's not yeah, getting better. Yeah, it's same as yesterday. It's like, yeah, I don't have no miracle to fix this thing. I don't have that little wand that will heal a bone in two seconds flat. So it's like, if I had that, for sure as hell, I would have I'd used that yeah. three weeks ago yeah. before I even started the race. So it was that was, that was like, for sure as the hardest part of just putting up with that question pretty much every day how was it um and it was shit and that was just that was pretty much about it but you kind of got to keep it P, or pg rated i guess and you can't really mm. express exactly how you wanted to uh, make it feel but it's just uh the way it is and how much time did just the general medical side of stuff like eat into the days because like you don't have that much time in between all of this like the stages anyway like you've got so much stuff that you're having to get ready for the next day and yeah. then now you add in like this injury like did it just feel like for 10 days all you did was think about a sore wrist yeah pretty much it's like 
instead of coming back from a stage, um, giving the bike off to the mechanic, explaining how the bike is, what's wrong, what they need to change or fix, or if the bike was all good, to then going straight to the camper, um, getting undressed, then just jumping straight in the shower, and then climbing out, putting clothes on, getting food, um, and then basically just waiting for the road book to come out to then start marking that. It was basically come in, um, do the basically the handoff of the bike, then at the camper kind of getting undressed, and then it was like then just straight to 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 the doctor and the physio basically to uh put ice on it wrap it up basically compression bandages and then like i say there's just there's no miracle fix that they mm. can give you to to take away all all the pain and all all the, all that stuff so you we've still got to abide by all the water rules so there's no you can't do anything illegal you can't do nothing like that like it's just you you've got to do the normal natural way of trying to get the thing to to put up with the pain and torture and that was just a whole heap of ice um and, and yeah compression and, and um and then just basically yeah a few panadol and that's about it like it's the the you can't you can't really do any more on top of that so it's just uh it just added more to the plate which i didn't really want on the plate um but yeah we just tried to manage um basically one of the guys that drove the camper for us he he would kind of settle like uh, all my gear out like on a bit of a clothesline and stuff like to just get it to air out and stuff which is something I would normally do would do myself yeah. but he would just try and take the load off on doing those smaller bits and pieces and then I'd still have to do my road book with my hand and all wrapped up and um, stuff like that so that just made that side of things a little bit more difficult but um, from there then on it was just um, just trying to get as much rest as possible and just try and take my mind off it and um wake up as fresh as possible for the next day i could see though too on like i don't know though that you've got like a problem of overthinking the race though like i feel like at this point you've probably got a pretty good handle on the race itself and like what you've got to do to where because you know like sometimes Mate, I don't I try not to overthink like you don't anything really think about in life anything, I don't yeah. try not to think about nothing so I just yeah I think that's just what kind of works in the race for me the best best way possible which is um, just don't think just you just Forrest Gump think. that shit yeah, that's what I like exactly. so like my mate Andrew the, who, the Irish dude that was at the house when yep. you were there like yeah, yep. man I wish that straight up is a better podcast than I could do with you <laughs> <laughs> but he had all the questions in the world and it was like yeah for sure as hell we had we had a podcast there on the, on the, on the lounge and uh, yeah talking all the things about Dakar and what, what was happening so it was uh, nah good dude good times he's so inquisitive though which like uh, we all good Mick bring her in um so just had a bloody tech blowout <laughs> cameras do weird stuff from time to time cut me off of my train of thought i was talking about andrew and i can't remember where i was going with that but i did like because it was cool to see because he doesn't know anything about any of this stuff and sometimes i feel like maybe i'm a bit too close to it because i, I it just seems normal you don't care what i do mate that's what i mean like yeah, you're yeah, around yeah, me all yeah, the right, time right. and yeah. i just don't give a fuck <laughs> <laughs> but like it is uh it was really cool to see like his reaction as a guy that doesn't isn't in this at all like he was completely blown away like and ever since then he's like 
he's like, how's your man Toby, the psycho? And like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he's just, because it, it, to him, it was so, it's so incomprehensible to do what you do. But that's where I was going with this. I got it back. I said Finally. to, I said Light to, <laughs> I said to him that you're like, you, you Forrest Gump this shit. Like, you really don't think about it that much. Like, because he was saying to me, like, what's he thinking of this? And how is that thinking about that? And I'm like, man, really? Like, I think it's just a case of Forrest Gump. Like, I just felt like running. Yeah. And, like, that's really what you do. I like, just feel like going fast. And that's just, about it. Like, it's... <laughs> some days it's like that for sure. Um, but, yeah, like I say, it's just... You can be 100 metres off on your navigation and that can just change your whole world. So, it's just... Uh, which is basically what happened to us last year, which we were in a pretty decent run for um, off a bad injury uh, to go into that Dakar. I just made basically a yeah, 100, 150 metre wrong call. A and um, Yeah, big, big boo-boo that one. And uh, How much did that boo-boo cost? Mm, it's got, got not, a couple hundred thousand euros in that boo-boo. Oh, millions, mate. It cost <laughs> millions. Oh, here, we here we go. Turn it up. Everyone thinks it's like you're making multi-millions of dollars, but, uh, mate, I think it costs more so that uh, that heartache. That was that was the biggest pain of the whole lot of it. It's just uh, money aside, the the mistake and, and just, I don't know, I kind of guess getting to the finish, finish line and just feeling like a complete complete dumbass of making that 150 meter wrong call um you just feel like yeah you're the biggest idiot in the world that's that's uh that's about the thing that kind of kicks you in the face really and that's but yeah it's um it was a little bit costly day of uh, uh a payday but just the way it is where the cookie crumbles as they say oh, that one exactly um yes but i think like you know because i feel like there might be with someone else like the element of like if you can push through the injury then having that little bit of a distraction off the actual race itself the event the magnitude the media the fact that because like dakar's like loretta's yeah yeah because yeah. like you know you won the world rally championship this year which i guess we haven't even mentioned but like does anyone really care about that compared to dakar and it, it's sort of like the same as amateurs. It's like you win world minis or you win, you know, these other... Nat, like, there's still a national yeah. title. Like, you yep. won the world championship, yep. but we really care that you won Dakar. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. It's exactly like that. It's like you can go and do... Even just put it into a scale of, uh, like, your, your junior days of racing. You can go and win the New South Wales state title or your Queensland state title, but... Then when everyone then shows up, rocks up to the Australian Junior Motocross Championship, it's realistically like the only one that kind of counts. And it doesn't matter if you get last at every other race for the whole year. Yeah. If you, you finish last every other day, whatever it was for your New South Wales State Championship, and then next thing all of a sudden out of the blue, just bam, you just won the Australian Junior Motocross Championship of 15 years, um, one two five class, like it just... You're the that, man. Yeah, you're the man. Bad luck. That's just the way it is. And it's, um, yeah, it's exactly the kind of the same. Like, it's our world championship. It is uh, it, it is recognized for sure. But, like, like I say, from, um, uh, you never, I hate putting it to numbers and figures and, and social media growth or whatever and stuff like that. But, like, I went through basically the whole of 2018, um, for uh, and, and I think my social and like Instagram probably probably grew 
maybe 20 to 30,000 people over the whole year of the world championship. Um, you can win every stage, win every day, win the rounds, win the world championship. Yeah, cool, it's rad, whatever, it's badass. But to then, like I say, how much recognition that Dakar gets, um, I think, yeah, we like we monetize all my, my social and all my uh, interactions and stuff with my, my website and stuff like that. In the very first day i think we started my social at was like 220,000 i think it was two, no 218,000 followers um in 10 days i think now i checked the like it this this morning i think it's now 270 so it's like it just shows that mm. dakar has that worldwide recognition by, by everywhere and just everybody frosts so hard on that one race and that's you just everything just grows so it's it yeah it, it's just a, one hell of a crazy stupid beast of a race really it's funny like we've got a video that's coming out on youtube uh which we still have to edit a few things out um <laughs> uh but the, i had the morning of the win i got like a ridiculous amount of messages through the gypsy tales instagram of people like blowing up that there wasn't more mainstream media coverage of like the sort of lead up to the event they're like complaining about the tennis players and blah 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 but like you see just channel seven posted that thing yesterday of the airport and like i looked it had like two hundred eighty-five thousand views yeah i'm just like holy shit like it really does for you know for whatever reason but i think that like with australia it's like we're so far away and it we always feel like the underdog because we are so far away and i just think people get so behind anytime an aussie wins something big but it's it is weird that they don't care before you win you know what i mean yeah. it's like but i sort of said in this youtube thing like we kind of break down the whole dakar deal but it's like I feel like it's so easy with the mainstream news now. It's like even when you won, they did like the sports tonight thing. It was like 35 seconds worth of um, coverage yep. in the sport deal. So it's like with the tennis and stuff, it's so easy to be like, oh, well, everyone knows what tennis is. So yeah. we can just talk about this like controversy and we don't have to explain tennis. We don't have to explain the rules. We don't... We don't have to explain where it is. It's just it's on the tennis court. Like that's it. Like everyone can sit in the grandstand it's and so they easy. can just sit there and there's like one bit of the, the 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 what do they call it? Not it's not a court. The court. The, the court. It doesn't go anywhere. Like it's yeah. Everyone's gonna sit in that stand and see and the, the same, same in thing. Spain. Same, it's the same, same at Rod Laver Arena. Yeah. It's all the same. To get capture the footage that they need to capture there is there's probably fifteen cameras situated all around the plate. But like to try and capture a 300, 400 kilometer stage, there's probably 15, 20 cameras, but to you, you miss so much between whatever's in that whole stage. Mm. So it, it's hard to capture footage, foot, capture footage for it and, and promote it a little bit. So that And then is, to explain it to people that don't know what it is. That's it. Like for us, like when on the camera, we ride by the camera, blah, blah, blah. Next thing, take off. Everyone just looks at it and goes, "Oh yeah, you're you're on a you're on a track. Yeah, there's no problems." Nothing special. It's like, 
at the end of the day, no, we're not on a track. There's no markings. There's no bunting. There's no no dude sitting at the end of a straight pointness the, the direction to go. There's like sometimes there's some guys sitting at the end of straights trying to push you the like trying to get you to go the wrong way. Like they're trying to point you other ways and stuff like that. So it's yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty pretty damn crazy to try and capture that footage and get stuff sorted. Yeah, and and I think just you add in that that like people don't really know what Dakar is as such, and it's like it's once a year. It's just so I mean, like I get it that there isn't more coverage, and it hmm. sort of doesn't bum me out. So I guess I just wanted to like explain my perspective on that because I don't think you really care either, right? Because what like do you do you care? Like do you wish uh. you get a bit more attention for it? Like I'm, you, I'm, I'm you not. You love I'm attention. Not, I, I mean, let's be honest. Let's be honest. For sure, yeah. Hey, with bloody a mullet hanging out the back of the helmet, <laughs> mate. I'm all for the attention. No, but it's like, for sure, like a, a little bit more. Like I don't want it to blow up and then take off. That like I you can't. can't go to I can't go to Bunnings and buy a sausage and <laughs> hang out and go and buy a bag of screws and bolts or whatever and that. But a little bit more recognition for it would be would be definitely amazing because it's. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not an easy sport what we're doing, and it's um, uh, so people kind of don't understand that these teams and these the people of the factories and stuff that take this equipment there. It it costs a lot of money. Like it's my my entry fee alone to go and just put my name on the Dakar list to go and try and at least attempt to ride it. It's like twenty five thousand euro, which it's transfers insane, to like eh? thirty two to thirty four thousand Australian dollars. So, who was sorry, cut you off? Who was the other Aussie dude that was on the bike this year? We have to give that dude a shout out. Ah, uh, James Ferguson. What a legend! Yeah, he did. And the, especially if, if then you go, that's a private dude that's funding yep. it all himself. And it's a twenty five thousand euro entry fee. Like, what yep. a fucking legend! Yep. Yeah, yeah, newy boy that went went across there and basically did the Mali Moto class. And then there was another guy, Ben Young from down, I think it's down Melbourne way. Um, he he had a little bit more. He had more support, um, so he didn't do the Mali. So, what it is with Mali Moto is basically once he arrives there, gets to the race to the event. Um, he has to do all his tech inspection. He has to do all his uh, all his signings, everything like that, trying to get through briefings and everything. He then once the race starts, he has to do everything on his own. So it's like no outside assistance. So as soon as like I, I think I've got it hard like to to, to ride in the Mali Moto class to try and win outright. It, it it's impossible. Like it's it's just I don't yeah, think really. it'll ever ever happen ever in its lifetime. So. To, for him to come in as soon as he finishes a stage there's not really there's not one dude that can change the air filter on his bike there's not one dude that can change a tyre there's not one dude that can change the oil there's not one dude that can change his handlebars if he's had a shit day or change a brake lever because he's had a little small crash and broke the tip off the, the front brake lever uh, like I say he has to do everything himself and that's like including his road book setting up his tent setting up uh, his little like area so, so sometimes he just sleeps in his riding gear because it's like it's more of an effort more work to get undressed and then to get dressed again in the morning so it's like the Malimoto class is just like stupidly ridiculous and like I don't even know how and why anybody ever thought of that class so it's just crazy that yeah he was in on that and doing that and then like i say ben young was um i'm, I'm pretty sure he wasn't doing Mali moto class so he was in a 
I'm not I'm not too sure on what class he would have been in, but there's like another category that there he's there and there's a bit of a um, a KTM support type mm. team that um, basically he just rents a motorcycle off this team. He just shows up with his riding gear. Yeah, it's kind of the same Pay as me. But then, the then just like as he goes along, if he breaks things on the bike and that, they they take things out of the truck and then it just basically he's got his name on a list and then uh, every part that comes out of that truck for him will have a barcode. It gets scanned and then basically they just put it to his riding number and they've just got his credit card on file so it's just yeah it, if you if you just keep breaking things all day long um by the end of the race you're gonna have a hefty old little credit card bill and could you, um, could you imagine him like at scrutineering like when you rent a car and they yeah. give you the clipboard <laughs> and he's walking around be like nah nah there's a scratch yeah. there yeah yeah there's, it's, a it's, scratch yeah, there. there's a scratch there that's got to replace uh, yeah, there's <laughs> a replace yeah oh you dinted the rim all right that's another there yeah, 200 dollars. yeah oh and then the, you, oh the tires are worn out you've been doing handbrakes down the road so it's <laughs> like yeah it's just like yeah dave it, ellis could not do that class no dave ellis would not fail extremely hard at that class so it's uh yeah his rental record is um yeah, I think it's shot around the world. Oh, no, not around the world, but definitely around Australia. Oh, 100%. It was cool, though, yesterday to see the, like, so Maddie put out the press release that said when you were going to land. Did, like, you didn't know that was happening, right? Because you nah. were texting mum and dad, like, just they were picking you up. Like, you didn't even know your parents were coming, right? No, nah, yeah, I had, I had no idea. Like, like, I know from when I came back from my first Dakar win, there was a bit of a, uh, like, a reception there in Sydney and some, some people were there. And I think there was probably around 20 to 30-odd people there to, to welcome us in from the first one. So, yeah, like, I, so I'm, I'm once the race is kind of done and running and going and stuff, uh, Maddie just kind of controls everything for us back here and just keeps everything running and sorted. And then um, I get to see... Uh, I, I do a, a few posts here and there along the way, um, but then, um, yeah, like once the race finished, like I, like I say, we finished on the Friday afternoon. Um, Cross the, put the bike back into the bivouac park for me, uh, probably around about four o'clock. Uh, went back to the hotel, basically had a shower, had something to eat, put some riding gear back on to then go back to the podium, cross the podium to then get the trophy and mm. do all the celebrations type of stuff. Um, then once that was all done, bike was back in park for me. Uh, they had to sit in there for about another half an hour after that just for if anything, like protests or stuff, yeah, or whatever like came through, stuff, yeah. whatever, whatnot. Um, and then the team then took the bikes, put them back in the crates to then get them ready to ship out um back uh, back at the dock um to go on the boat and then um but yeah I, I just went back to the back to the room basically got out of the riding gear then i just started to pack all my bags and just i we take about i take about four gear bags worth of stuff over there so it's that's probably about 100 and yeah, about 130 to 40 kilos worth of riding gear and stuff so I'm packing all that. Then once all the team had pretty much got everything sorted to where they had couldn't do no more work that afternoon, that night, uh, we just went out for a team dinner, um, basically across the road from the hotel. Uh, just celebrated there a little bit, and then yeah, I just because um, yeah, because it's my right wrist. Um, it, it was I would have loved to have gone out and went and partied and see the guys and other competitors and stuff like uh, Red Bull always throws a big party on and stuff there, and I wanted to go to that for sure, but 
just being my right wrist as everyone's you always, shaking you your, always hand, shake yeah. your hand with the right and that just it's just weird to try and shake with the left and everyone just feels a bit random at trying to shake with the left hand and then um yeah so i just thought nah bugger i just gonna chill for the night um i actually had a 10 o'clock flight the very next morning straight out of this so i had to be at the airport at seven um and yeah so i just woke up in the morning basically just grabbed my bags threw them in the taxi went straight to the airport and then started flying home so i didn't really didn't really see too much stuff because then once you're in the air there's no well some planes there's no wi-fi and no whatever and whatnot and then um yeah i i landed in uh new zealand which was then uh sunday morning um back here in australia and then um so yeah messages like uh Message Maddie and stuff and just said, yeah, close to being home, it's all good. Then um, messaged your mum and dad and just said, yeah, is it possible to probably get picked up from the airport? And then, yeah, Maddie kind of goes to me, he goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to cruise up and blah, 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 and yeah, we'll, I'll catch up with you there and stuff. So I was like, oh, well, okay, no worries. I'll, I won't organise Pete and Liz to come. Um, I'll, I'll just get picked up by you, then I'll call in past um, Pete and Liz's place and pick up my car and... Well, actually, no, my car wasn't there, so I was just going to call in and catch up. And then, um, see, so yeah, I, I was I was blinded to it, really. So I, I landed in Sydney. Um, I had the worst flight coming home. Um, it was like four uh, four stops to get home, pr- pretty much. And then, uh, so I, I blasted through Sydney, no problem, no dramas. I kind of thought it was a little bit weird, like, because usually mum and dad always, because yeah, being them, like Newcastle, yeah. they would see me in Sydney. So I was like, oh, I still had like about a three-hour layover in Sydney. So I was like, oh, it was a bit bit strange. But like I spoke to mum and dad after the race and stuff and they then told me like, oh, yeah, we're going to come up um, next weekend, basically Australia Day weekend, and we'll uh, bring some stuff up and we'll come and catch up with you. Um, so then once I, I come out of Sydney and stuff and they weren't there and didn't surprise us there, I was like, oh, it's well, usually they're usually there and... Oh well, no, they just must just be one, they, just yeah, one Dakar. Just like. one Dakar, and they don't even not even come worry. Come like, at least, yeah, at least just drive two and a half, three hours to come say hello. So, but no, it's so I, I, I didn't really think too much of it. I was just like, oh yeah, sweet, it's no problem. They're going to come up next weekend. I'll get to catch up with them then, and um, yeah, have a good time. And um, yeah, I then got to then I flew from Sydney to Brisbane. Um, had a little bit of try the, the old trophy mate it's it's a hard old thing to get home like i honestly it's the hardest thing to get into my hands ever in my whole life and then they expect like you to put it underneath in the baggage and cat like under the plane and in the luggage and i always fight with them it's like no way in the world i'm letting go of this thing in my hands it's it's coming on the plane with me as carry on because you just don't realize how hard these things are you can't get these things you can't go down to the yeah to the local op shop and buy one of these things so uh there's been a lot of blood sweat and tears that have gone into trying to get this thing and so and it's damn heavy too so like I can understand for sure. It, it could be used as a weapon on the plane for sure. You could easily knock someone the hell Take out with the thing. Head of yours. Yeah, yeah, hundred yeah, percent, mate. <laughs> so it's just like I was like, ah. Oh. So I had a little bit of issue in Sydney and stuff. I because I had three bags I was carrying on because it was basically I put that trophy into another bag to try and bring the thing home as carry on. And then when uh, yeah we got to the to the plane to jump on there, they were like, oh, you've got three bags, sir. Like you can't, you can only take two on. So I was like the other ones I had was basically the other one was my helmet that I crossed the finish line in so I was like well I can't throw that thing under the plane because that's just going to bounce around they're going to snap the visor off it and completely destroy it 
And then my other one was my backpack and it's just got all my laptop and all that, all that type of stuff in it. So I was like, the only thing I can really kind of let go of right now. So I basically, I just said to him, you can take this bag, but I said, if you lose it, like it, there's going to be some, there's going to be a hell of a lot of trouble. Um, so I, I pretty much only just sat at the, at the, uh, at the bridge and like actually physically watched, watched them, them, like carry the bag down the stairs, down across to the plane and then actually throw it in underneath the plane. So I knew it was on that plane somewhere. Um, and I knew I was going to get it in my hands by, by Brisbane. So, um, then yeah i got we landed in brisbane um uh the a couple of the hostess like chicks on the plane then kind of put two and two together like oh yeah sweet so yeah you're that guy that just done that race of dakar and blah 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 and oh that's amazing blah, blah yeah everything's cool and so then they they were really good friendly and whatnot and then once i got i got to the door of the plane to get off to get in the in the bridge to get into the uh terminal um, there was a guy standing there waiting and he goes, oh, Toby, how you doing? And I'm like, yeah, well, good. And he's like, all right, he said, oh, I'm just going to guide you through everything and through the through the airport today and um, just make sure everything's all good and no problem. I'm like, what do you mean, mate? It's just me. We're all, we're all good. Like, it's no problem. He goes, oh, no, I think, you, I think you might have a bit of a surprise once you get to the end of the um, to the old gate. And good I'm like, one, mate. I'm like, oh, yeah, good one. Cheers, mate. What, what are you just pulling a bit of a prank? So I did have a surprise. Yeah. And, and then now I, was like, I don't. Well, well... <laughs> I, oh well, I, hey, could have been police sitting there waiting for me. I don't know. So, so yeah, I had no idea still. So, I was like, oh, all right, sweet, no worries. And then um, he then went and said, all right, I'll, I'll go and get that bag you put down under the plane. The, the hostess um, ladies told us what what had happened and that. So then, yeah, they, I got able to get the trophy and stuff. And then he goes, and then as I just started to walk back up through the bridge and everything, then he goes, all right, there's. Uh, I'll let, let you kind of know there's a lot of media and stuff here at the moment. And I went, oh, okay. How how the hell would anyone really know that I was what coming, flight I was what on flight stuff, I was yeah. on? Like, this, usually no one really knows. And then, yeah, to have, to basically get into the terminal, back uh, feed into there, it was just, yeah, I don't know. There was easily 100-odd people there, I think. It, it was just the cheer from them everyone being there just to, to welcome me home was just like i don't know that would be just something i'll never never forget um in my whole life now so it was a pretty pretty damn awesome thing to see it was crazy i was standing behind you when you come out because me and mick were filming and i ha- it was like i had a moment where i was like you you put the trophy up in the air and then everyone started cheering and when you think about like what a trophy is it just it seems like silly in a way like you just get this thing like it could be anything like yeah it looks cool but it's just a thing that someone's like there you go you did this but it's like it's crazy to see what it actually like it's a symbol like it's not it's not just a thing that you get it's like everything that happened it's like it's a sum of all of the parts that led to you actually getting it yeah and then you hold that up in the air and like that is such a clear representation of like what you said like blood sweat and tears to go through that and it was was really interesting to just see people like wanting to hold the trophy and and wanting to just like sort of be around you and and that you know the emblem of what you kind of got for doing what you did in my hands exactly 100% like like and that's it like I, I kind of oversee that and don't think about that but like realistically when when I as you do mention it there now uh, 
there is there's only two of those trophies here in the whole of Australia. Like there's there's not another one sitting down at your local dirt bike shop. There's not another one sitting in the office of some hierarchy guy that yeah just went and visited to go and be a part of Dakar or something like this. There's virtually there's only those two first place trophies and my two third place trophies um, that are outright podium uh, results that are sitting in on the shores here of Australia. So it's like as you as you kind of say that, then like you, you sit there and realize that yeah, holy hell, it's 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 crazy when you do hold that thing up. What the actual that symbol of that trophy is? It's just everyone just like loses their mind because there's 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 only a few of them around the world and at the end of the day there's there's only two two big ones here in australia and two little ones and that's 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 how it is and it's crazy that i've been able to get them all four of them um in in my hands it's um crazy hopefully we can add to to the collection and keep keep it all going but um yeah we've got a little bit of a family going on so it's pretty rad it's crazy too because like there's rich people in australia people with a lot of money it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. matter. You can be the richest person in the world. You can't get that thing. If you don't cross that finish line first at Dakar, you ain't going to have one of them trophies in your hand. Like, it's just, it, it, there's no money that in, there's no sum, there's no figure in the world that can buy one of them things. And that's just the way it is. There is, basically, I've heard that there there is, like, the, the three casts for those trophies to be made. And then basically they're kind of just locked away at ASO and there's no other way to get a hold of one of the things. And so it's like they're the guys that cross the finish line first, second, third, they're the ones that get the trophy and then that's it. Like it's there's there's no more there's no replicas made, there's no bits and pieces, like it's just they're the real deal, they're the trophies and they're the ones you get to keep for life. And it's uh yeah, like I say, um, I don't, I don't care how rich anyone is. I, if anyone came to me and said he's he's ten million dollars to buy one of the things, I'm not going to sell it for for ten million dollars because I feel like I've my life I've I've risked my life. My life's worth more than ten million dollars for sure, but I've worked damn hard to get the thing in my hand. So it's like I'm not going to give it away in a heartbeat like that. That's for sure. So it's. Uh, there's, there's really no figure on them things and it's um once you got one you don't want to let the thing go so it's uh they will get pretty put on my bedside table and um yeah i'll wake up every morning to look at them things and smile and say yep that'll kick start my day really damn well yeah i think that moment yesterday though like that was probably just for whatever reason just yeah. seeing you put that up in the air and then the way that people responded to it and it's like it's just everyday australians man like the people that were there yesterday that's just salt of the earth everyday aussie people yeah and like it fully means something to them man like yeah, it yeah. is it's crazy like because you know you do get wrapped up like it's everyday life like you are just toby price like to yourself you know what i mean yeah, but to these the- people like you've done something that's so like unattainable to anyone else and uh, i don't know like it, it it's just so cool to see how like the everyday aussie you know people were making signs overnight like yeah. maddie only put that press release out the day before yeah so it's like imagine if it even came out earlier like earlier like, what what how it would have been yeah. like it's yeah 100 percent. and that's like i don't know i think i hope 
to most people and that as well like how you say you described it there was just like everyday Australians there like I think for myself that's all I see myself as like it's I, I don't see myself as a world champion I don't see myself as anyone bigger and better than someone that sits beside me or whatever it's just like and and I think I think that's kind of what helps a little bit like in into relation of um like how people, people will do, feel yeah. like kind of feel a part of it like it's just because it just they kind of feel like that I'm just one of them and, and I'm with the group and yeah at the end of the day it was um after we finished at the at the airport yeah we just we went down to a local bar like a local pub um and basically yeah the, the bar guy was it was in there he's just like hey well like why the hell did you why the hell did you choose this bar or this pub like to come here like what what and I said no well, it's was the closest place to come and that was about it, it was it's all good like it's no drama he goes yeah but like just he kind of like looked at me and was like you should be like celebrating in like a five-star friggin bar restaurant somewhere down in in surface paradise and like by the water and having like yeah people service drinks flat out but it was just like no nah, just come down to the pub mate and stand at the bar and order my own drink and yeah have a have a have a yeah a cheese with a beer with everyone and um and thank everyone for coming down and and supporting us along the way and yeah i think that's where it kind of kicked in a little bit there like there was probably another 30 odd guys that yeah saluted us um, salute, saluted me coming in on, on motorcycles uh yeah that was sick that was pretty badass like it's um yeah there was three police officers there when i saw them i just thought this is gonna turn to carnage we're gonna get people arrested and it's just gonna go chaotic and um nah the police were all fine with it they kind of knew we gave them a bit of warning what was kind of gonna go down and what was happening and yeah, there was, there was guys there or I was just waiting for a piston to come through a tank and they're yeah. just on the limiter wide open, <laughs> full gas and just cheering. And it was, uh, yeah, to then have them all basically come down to the pub and then, like I say, just have have a beer with them, have cheers and bloody show them the trophy. It was just like, then you could just kind of see, um, yeah, the guys, like, they really appreciate it. They, they quickly got in and got their photos and had a quick chat, like, everything like that. And then... Um, had a, I had a couple of beers with them and stuff and then it was just like alright like then then they just kind of like knew that, that like all my family and like most of my friends were there as well and they just alright sweet no worries we'll leave you alone now and you go and hang out and see your family and do your thing and it was just like as they were all leaving they said yep see you later thanks heaps and much appreciated And but yeah at the end of the day it was like more of appreciation f- from me that they actually yeah. took time out of their day um just to come down and say congratulations and well done and yeah it's like it's it was unreal just to have a beer with them and and then it was unreal to see everybody at the airport like it's yeah it's a sunday afternoon there's some to most people yeah there's 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 so many more things they can be doing on a sunday afternoon instead of sitting in an airport waiting for one dude to walk off a plane so it was uh it, it was yeah definitely a warm welcome home and um like i say one that i definitely won't forget for a long time so it just uh We'll see. We just got to try and get, keep getting these trophies in our hands, and um, yeah, and just keep keep people pumped and happy on uh, what we're doing, and and um, represent Australia the best we can, and myself, and do yeah, go for gold. I know, like I I know you do get shit from sponsors. No, I shouldn't say sponsors, but from people within the industry that are like. Why are you doing Baja? Why are you doing Super Trucks? Why are you doing Triton? What? Mm. Just focus on this, focus on that. But like, 
it almost gets put into perspective when you do see like all of those people show up at the airport and it's like it's gotta be a mixture of like a lot of stuff that you do Mm. to like generate that you know what i mean because like what you can like man one chick posted a photo like she got a photo with the dakar trophy the first year and then she got another one this year it's like these are like legitimate hardcore people that like they care it's not there's like there's a difference between like being a fan and then like the for the fight stuff for instance like Mm. i'll watch a lot of the ufcs and there's like guys where i'm like i'm a fan of that dude but then if he wins or loses, I'm like, ah, damn, bad fight, you know? Yeah. But then there's some guys where you're like, you'd crushed if they lose. Yeah. And yep, it's like, yep. then there's the, there's like this different level. It's like, that's the level that it seems like you have with so many of these people. Yeah, it's for sure. That's it. Like, I think um, everyone's, uh, yeah, they, they're just pumped to follow along on the adventure that we, we're up to. Like, it's... Uh, t- till like now, like everyone, yeah, is like is, has seen my documentary that's on Red Bull TV, and um, and then kind of understands like yeah what I've been through, and so I'd, I don't know, I think some some people it feels like they're a part of the journey and mm. they're they're connected to it somehow, which is which is rad, and that's what exactly how the best way to, to come across with it and um, how how you engage with fans and stuff. So it's uh, yeah, it's a, like I say, it's just. Um, yeah, it's amazing that they just they, they took the time of the, their day and um, come down to greet us, and it's just yeah, it's whirlwind that's for sure. So it's uh, we definitely like I say, yeah, just keep trying to fight on with it. Yeah. So now I was gonna say like, what's next? But like, really, what's next is the Australia Day party. <laughs> <laughs> can it get weirder than last year? I mean, surely um, it can. But like, if it does get weirder than last year, then like that's pretty weird. Uh, yeah, I think now the only thing that's kind of going to top last year's one, that was like, that was coming off a third place. So yeah. it's like... Um, this is the official after This party. is like official kind of after. But like, I honestly haven't partied since the, the win. So it's like Australia Day is like the best day to do it. Isn't um, that like the craziest way to celebrate too? Like, bam, come home, win the Dakar. Win Dakar. There's got one the week. Aussie flag like yep. everywhere that you go, and then it's like, oh, I might have my after party on off, Australia, on Day, Australia Day. Day, and just make sure we celebrate it decent. So, yeah, like it, it, without going into detail with that last party, um, <laughs> it got pretty weird, pretty wild. Um, so I think, Wait, yeah, you know it gets weird. This is how you know it gets weird. <laughs> Jackson Richardson left early yeah 100 <laughs> that's like, how you know it got weird Jats is like oi man I'm a pup in the game <laughs> <laughs> yeah. he, he literally was like damn yeah, yeah. I've really I've realised I'm still on a 65 here yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he just just graduated off the 50 and got on the 65 <laughs> and then just like goes realised yeah I've still got a few more steps to go to catch up so it's like um, yeah I guess it was just um, good family fun really it was yes. wholesome. It was yeah. just loose. It was one nice dinner table of just people sitting around and enjoying a lot of drinks. Playing cards. That's what we're going to put it down to. That's but You know what, though? It's at, like, that party. Like, it takes one dude, and last year it was Chaz. It was a mixture of maybe, like, Chaz, Brock, and Harry. And then they just... just then it was like... Yeah. It was like, oh, also this is acceptable (laughs) and it's like well not really but like it's been done it's frowned upon but (laughs) it's acceptable so it's but yeah i think the only way we're going to kind of top the next one maybe this weekend is i think is if someone gets arrested and that's no we don't we can't get arrested well i'm not 
But I, you, you can. I don't. I don't want to get arrested. Why not? You'll probably do something to stitch me up. Oh yeah, for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. No, so, it's like, yeah, I don't know. We'll um, we're we're definitely keen to um celebrate with some friends and stuff this weekend with Australia Day and stuff. So, uh, big boy Harley Clifford's home. Um, so mm. I think yeah, he'll uh, he was actually there last year as well. So. He was in uh, in the kitchen when some other stuff was like unfolding with a motorcycle and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, uh, yeah, I think I might have just gave away a little bit too much with the kitchen and a motorcycle. <laughs> so it was, uh, but nah, yeah, he no. was he was in the mix of it. Um, so yeah, he he's back as well and um, from his whirlwind of trips and stuff. So, but yeah, I think we'll uh, we'll start it out as a bit of a day on the boat and um, cruise along from there. Then. Uh, once I guess, yeah, we, we can't drive a boat with a few beers, um, then, yeah, we'll cruise back to the house and finish it off there. So it just, uh, I've definitely got some plans what I want to do. But You've left they, it late. I know what they are. You've left it late. It's never too late, but mate. You've it's got, never Maddie, you've too got late. Maddie and Dave on the case. Yeah. Well, that's it. The boys, athlete managers, yeah. that's what they got to do. So, mate, I come up with, like, the weirdest and strangest craziest ideas but at the last minute happens. but somehow it always yeah. happens so um yeah we we end up what, what we do last time we bought a trophy truck two weeks out from a race mm-hmm. and flew the thing over here and then had to rebuild a whole motor so it's like if we can make that happen get a whole big vehicle inside an airplane to then ship over here or flown over here to then replace a motor then to go out to Alice Springs and race Fink I'm sure as hell some scaffolding and other bits and pieces we've kind of got planned surely will happen for sure surely like, we can make it happen something's got to happen speaking of crazy ideas where did the bet idea come from hmm yes you got stitched bro like you won the oh, race mate. you won the race and then like you have this like little after party shindig and then it's like hey so stoked you won gonna shave your head you lose yeah like yeah. how did you win and then lose yeah i pretty much won and lost yeah. um so it was it ended up just being a lose-lose situation the whole way for us and but then you only got to kiss her hand mate you always greet a queen or a princess oh, don't with a talk key, to don't me it? like you're a gentleman i'm a gentleman mate don't talk for to me like sure you're a i'm a gentleman so <laughs> um yeah mate she's she's like the queen of the desert so had to kiss her on the hand there's, there's no other way and then and on top of that Laura does have a boyfriend so it's um bet's a bet mate bet yeah bet's a bet but hey no, didn't we didn't pass, we didn't yeah, specify true. in the contract how the actual kiss Fuck, was gonna go down so <laughs> that was all right like I, I i didn't mind i'm i'm happy to do that that was it got a bit of touch a bit of skin there so it was all good so it was, <laughs> it was all right but uh no nah, she's um yeah we're, like look we're, we're just sitting outside i think it was after like stage two stage three or something like that at that point basically i pretty much made the bet to myself and her and then what the table and the group of people were there um she was sitting in about 25th 26 or something at the time um we'd already knocked a couple days off the uh, off off the rally um so basically um my mathematics skills are not so good so mm-hmm. i started to actually try and use my head for once and actually think because as i said before i don't really like to think too much i then was like all right she's in 25th um she goes if i if when when are you going to get like get rid of the yeah the conversation when are you going to get rid of the mullet and i said well look i don't think i'll ever get rid of the thing like it's just like 
seems like it's a national um, Australia thing and just like it's just kind of connected to me now and that's just the way it is. And It's my source of my power. It's, yeah, it's it. It's just the mullet power and that's what makes me, yeah, swing off it and that was about it. And then she goes, well, oh, well, we'll just make, well, if I, if I get inside the top 15 or something, like, can I shave your mullet off? And I was like, Pfft. Hang on a minute. That's when them... Okay, now we'll go back to this other bit where I was then starting to try and use my head and think and put something two and two together and go, all right, she's in 25th, 26th. She wants to get to top 15. All right, so there's there's 10 places in there. We're already two stages down. So there's eight, eight days left. And then I just kind of went, well, surely in that top 15, there's really damn fast guys. Um, there's not going to be eight they're going to drop out so it's like all right that's if, if eight drop out then yeah we're, we're down to a close close number with the 15 but it's like all right man maybe one or two more and i'm should be still safe so i was like yeah yeah sweet no problem like yeah i, I took about my mathematics skills as i say were really bad i probably took about three minutes to try and think of all this um scenario that i'd played out and then I was just like, all right, yep, yeah, no, I'm, I should be pretty safe on that bet. It's no dramas and we'll, we'll be good to go. And so the next thing, yeah, a napkin came out. Um, this was our official contract. We started to write it out and then she's like signed it and I've signed it. And I thought, yep, yeah, sweet, no worries. This thing's going to be going to be all sweet and all sorted. And then I was just like, just threw it in the ring and just like, ah, oh, bugger it. Well, I said, if I finish top five, what do I get? And then she's like, oh, name it. I said, oh, I want to have a kiss with you. No problem. And she's like, oh, well, she kind of paused at it a little bit because, yeah, Lyre does have a boyfriend. Um, so, But is he the champ champ? He's the champ champ, mate, for sure, 100%. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'm sure as hell he definitely wouldn't have allowed the old uh, kiss on the lips to go down, that's for sure. I don't think he's that much of a champ champ. But uh, um, we didn't really actually think it was going to take off and grab traction and do it. Do, it do went it. off, bro. It, yeah, 100%. It was just as a bit of a... A joke around the table was probably five, six people. Um, and then, yeah, uh, as the contracts all got like kind of finalised and finished off, that yeah, all right, if I got inside the top five, I got to have a kiss and a five-second kiss, and it was all good and no problem. And then, uh, then a camera came across our shoulders, and then kind of they asked the question, "What was going on?" And then um, we explained what was happening, and then uh, this camera was rolling, and um, yeah, then uh, which was from Red Bull. And then um, they said, oh, this, this is pretty pretty funny. This is, this is something, a bit of cool content we can have and blah, blah, blah. And we didn't think they were going to edit something up and put it to put it together. And, um, yeah, the very next morning we woke up and, uh, well, very next morning we woke up, did the stage, got back at the end of the day. And then um, next thing, yeah, Red Bull uh, kind of showed us this bit of a video and it was our bet. And we're like, Oh yeah, sweet. Like yeah, we're about to post it and put it put it to our channel. And we're like, I was like, no, yeah, you, you can't. This is just a G up. This like, is just yeah. a bit of a G up, yeah. bit of fun. Like between us, you can't really kind of do this and blah blah blah. And and they were like, uh, and then they kind of like looked at me a little bit weird. And it was just like, I then kind of knew shit. They've already kind of that sent that this, out, yeah. and this thing's about to hit like social media. So I was like far out I said hey guys you kind of need to probably check with Liar first if uh, if this is kind of going to be possible because like I said the first part of the deal is no problem but I said if you're posting the second part of the deal um, we could be starting to cause a bit of little bit of drama back in, in Spain um, so 
they were like, oh, well, what's happening? I said, well, Lyra does have a boyfriend. So I was like, this could be a bit of an issue. And I was, and they're like, oh, and then their face just kind of dropped a little bit. And then we're like, okay. Um, then I was like, yeah, they've definitely posted this. This is this thing's about this thing's already out there going. So they went and must went and spoke to Lyra and stuff. And then they sent her the clip. And then all of a sudden, next thing I check Lyra's page and she's shared it as well. And I was like, well, what a bloody champion she is. Like, she's got a boyfriend and all, and she's then just plastered this thing out and away it's it's on fire she so, was confident bro 100 she po- i didn't really post it too much because i was i definitely wasn't confident because like as, as i say she I, is a badass 100 like literally I, I i just can't describe i can't describe the ladies like it's just amazing what she can do and most like, i know how damn tough it is to get through a dakar and it's like it has to be if not half as much as hard for her like like it my my heart and then plus another half of mine it has to be at least that for her so it's like it's crazy to see her being in the race and and then like her saying yeah i'm gonna be in top 15 like the shave your mullet so i was like i'm all sweet and like like i say as i came back to the other thing it was like i didn't even expect to get past the rest day so my other plan was like if yeah i did quit already be on a flight home i'd already be on a flight home (laughs) i'd be out of that place on my way home and then yeah she can finish 14th but i'm sitting at my lounge room here in australia she ain't touching my head so i was like <laughs> i'm sweet i'm safe like it's i'm not i'm not, we're probably not going to be here so that's why how like the whole thing is my mathematics skills kind of failed on me miserably and then just thinking yeah i'm not going to make the finish line so i'm going to be on a plane getting sent home because the team's not going to want me here um yeah with my wrist the way it is and then um yeah i'm, I'm gonna be safe either option so I'm, I'm all good but then um yeah she uh ended up then climbing in well i think it was like two two or three days from the uh from the end she was sitting in 16th position um and then she had basically i think it was about 15 minutes between 16th and 15th whoever was in 15th at the time so i was like then i started to get pretty nervous i'm like i'm still here at this race at the moment and she's damn close to her to her target and i was inside my target as well for for my goal um and then i was like all right well this this is looking like it's about to happen so after that the next couple of stages like uh the badass legendary ricky brabeck uh from america unfortunately yeah he had a an engine failure um and then yeah bloody so there goes one so now she's inside the top 15 um adrian van breveren um he had i think an engine failure too with the Yamaha. so then okay sweet now she's in 14th so she's guaranteed she's like in in a top spot already she can't really she can't lose there's no way and then I think there was along the way there was a couple of other um, bits and pieces that went down, and then she ended up damn well finishing eleventh. Like, and that's I think her tied with her best result uh, finish um, in a Dakar rally. So, absolute. I, I'm not going to call her an animal because like she's yeah she is a princess. She's she is the queen of the desert for what what she's doing. But yeah, like at the end of the day, she really is an animal because like it's, it's just savage. It's, it's, it's like a savage what yeah. she does on a bike and. Um, she definitely would make a lot of dudes cry uh, how that sometimes they ride a motorcycle and um sometimes yeah i think she nearly even makes me cry sometimes so it's uh yeah it's just how it kind of worked out and um 
I should have probably put some little fine print bit in there that yeah, if I actually won the race, I probably should have been able to just to get scot free, yeah. free and got out of it. But but that I, goes to show that like you really winning was not on your radar. About hundred percent. My winning, my that that day two, day three, winning was far far million miles away from being on my radar. So it was like it did not even cross my mind or cross any thought in me at all. So. By day eight, yeah, I was sitting there. You're thinking to myself, "You're an absolute dickhead. Why the hell did you not put that in there?" Like it's now you're you're about to lose. Something. See what happens when you do a contract without Maddie. This yeah, is what happens. Yeah, I failed. I didn't didn't put that fine print in that I usually don't read. So it's um, yeah, I just pissed. That was just just about it's about all it was really. I think it, as far as it went though, it worked out. The mullet's still there. The head is shaved. To it's rude. It's it's definitely rude. But hey, like before that, even like we get to that part as well. Like this video and clip. Then the the next morning when it got shared, like it made actual news in Spain that this was like it went what? on. The, the guys told us there that this has actually made news in Spain. Like this is what's gonna. They've they've spoke about it on their national TV in Spain that this is a bet that's gone on and what's happening like because Lyra like um, is she pretty in, big in she's Spain massive, like absolutely massive in that's Spain like sick. you you literally you could pull up at any petrol station there and somebody would know it like it's like she is like the queen of Spain and queen of desert rally Dakar like it's that's and that's just who she is and it's um. So yeah, like I say, that then got traction in Spain. Then just then hit news like kind of headlines, I guess. Like they were explaining it to me, and I was just like, "Fire out!" Like this, the, this, this is escalated. This has escalated way, way above what I ever wanted it really to to take off to. And then I was like, "Well, th- th- like th- that's what I mean." Like that's I couldn't back out at the end of the day at the, at the finish line and say, "Oh no, you're not shaving my head." There's no way. Like it's it, a bet was a bet, deals a deal. And this made national TV in Spain. So it's like, if I don't go through with it, like everyone's going to pretty much hate me. So it's like, but then at the end of the day, there was a bit of a shed of a tear, mate. This is probably, this mullet at the back of my head is like the longest standing relationship I've had for a damn long time. (laughs) Like, it's just like, I've had this thing for nearly almost three years and I've just made a stupid bet on a damn napkin that I'm going to shave this damn thing off. I'm like... Oh, oh, I was I was torn. It's not not the greatest, but um, yeah, um, she didn't do a very damn good job. As you can, I'm very go scared on, to show it, go. but as you can kind of see, um, it's janky at best. It's very very janky. When did she do this? Was like days ago, bro. This is days ago. This is days ago. We're now like probably. Um, Just get it fixed. <laughs> But I haven't had time, dude. I've oh. literally got on the plane the next morning at like I was at the airport at seven o'clock, flew the whole way. Worst part was every time you go through a freaking passport check, they're like, "Oh, can you play, please take your hat off, sir?" I'm like, "Oh, god, Fuck. damn it!" All right, took the hat off, and then she just, she just kind of like looks at you and like, "Yep, I lost a bet." It just that's me, please. And then just put the hat back down and then just put my head down and walked onto the plane. It was just like, that's the worst thing in my, <laughs> that's the most shame I could ever have in my life right now at the moment. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, and then, yeah, the worst part was, yeah, like you say, it's just danky. It's just like got little chunks and like there's, as you can Look see, one piece, there's one piece of right at the front that's like missed. There's pieces down the side that's missed. And, um, but 
as, as you say, like I, I just I flew in the first day, went straight from the airport. I, like everyone was there. I tried to yeah, greet everyone there. Day. It was a big day. Went to the pub, then basically just went home um, last night and crashed out in first hour of like laying down pretty much, and then woke up pretty much at four a.m. this morning um, uh, from just from jet lag and whatnot, and then from pretty much. 7.45 onwards it's just been phone calls uh, TV interviews bits and pieces and then um, unfortunately and then this now up. this stitch up talking <laughs> to your freaking head again um, yeah and so I'm still kind of stuck with it like I haven't had today to what's do what's the game plan I I need to fix it but like how do you fix it bro that's what I'm saying like it's what's a, the it's, fix it's a hard it's a hard a fix, fix mate it, it's it, it already starts bad from this bit. That's what like I'm it's, saying. it's a hard <laughs> fix. The fix? It's, there's, there's no fix to the top either. So it's like the fix is actually. You look, I'm going to put my hat back on because yeah, I feel really uncomfortable nah, right now. At the moment. It's very awkward. So, but like <laughs> the fix um, is like you need to be the stig from now on. Like you have to just wear a helmet. Yeah, I've literally just got to have a helmet on the whole. What was that damn movie? Time. Did you I'm see that movie where the kid like he has a space helmet and he won't take it off? Yeah. Ah, oh, what is that? You need to be called? that kid. It's gotta be that kid, I, mate. That this is my space helmet right yeah. here. It's like I literally just need to get some super glue and just stick my hat on my head and just sleep with it, shower with it, do whatever with it. Like it, it I just can't so, take my hat off anymore. It's so bad that even being it's so bad, but it's so good. It is so bad and it's so good. I will give you that. But it's so bad that like even when you're alone by yourself. You'd I'm still, still be embarrassed. I'm still scared of myself. <laughs> like, I look at myself you... in the mirror and just go, who the hell are you right now? Like, it just literally is the worst thing. I just, I don't know. I was surprised. Like, if... Uh, the only we, thing that could make this better is if you get arrested for something that you didn't do, so you're not actually <laughs> in trouble, and then you have to go to the cop shop and get a mug shot and get a mug shot and try and yeah explain <laughs> like myself like that yeah. only that would be the only just way that this go could be on better. police record with the worst haircut in the world like it's yeah that that would be about it if you i think if you gave me what well, a fanny pack i reckon i'd, I'd definitely cause some trouble and i'd be getting like if you, uh, taken if away you pretty drove, quick if you took my van to a school tomorrow morning <laughs> oh, you're in big trouble, bro. Oh. You are in big trouble, bro. Yeah, yeah. What, what? What's that hangover movie? Yeah, you're not allowed. To, no, that was one other movie. What are you not allowed? To, Within the, 500, 500 yards of a schoolyard school yeah. school or a Chuck E. Cheese or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese is my favourite place, mate. If they were in Australia, that's for sure. But um, yeah, shit. Now, now just got this bit of a thing at the so back of the old head fix it. i like and, that the um, mullet's still there because like yeah. it'll it'll grow so, quickly here we go there's the fanny pack so there <laughs> i'll be um yeah i'll be supporting this there in the next few days and just i'll run my life at a bit of a risk and just see how we go and who's who's chasing i'm holding yeah. <laughs> wait is there speed yeah. dealers <laughs> have you got any speed dealers that, oh, no i'm not no, taking my hat off. off i've already had the hat off and i'm not have doing you got any again. speed dealers maddie uh, where's the Oakley Speed Dealers? The Oakley Speed them? Dealers, mate. Bowie, hook me up with some Oakley Speed <laughs> Dealers. We're on. Like it's yeah. I'm gonna cause carnage for the next week and not gonna be, not gonna be allowed out of my house, mate. I'm gonna have the ankle anklet bracelet yeah, on. Yeah, you need to be on like house arrest. House arrest, yeah, <laughs> for like a little bit. Far out. Oh, it's the best. Hey, what time mate, are we I'm running actually, here? I'm getting this thing off because I'm probably gonna get in trouble for that thing too. So, 
Oh, yeah. So what yeah, else, mate? mate? What else um, do you want to say? Is there anything else that we should know about with this race? It's hard. It's it just, is hard. It's just, it's sometimes shit. <laughs> um, sometimes was there, just was there come a point, home. Was there a point where you thought you were going to have to stop? Yeah, look, I had stage three and stage seven and eight were like my, pretty much my tougher one. Like stage three, realistically, like I I had pain, it was uncomfortable. I got lost in the morning, so I'd lost a lot, like a bit of, bit of ground on the guys. So around probably 20 odd minutes, I thought. Um, so I was riding to the the fuel stop and then basically just um, was kind of saying to myself, all right, the, the wrist is the wrist is annoying. I've already kind of thrown away a bit of time. It's going to be hard to try and make because I, I, was, I was kind of guessing around 20 to maybe 30 minutes that I'd lost. It's going to be hard to make up that time with my wrist, what I've got. Um, I really kind of don't have the outright speed to push and draw that time back. I got to the fuel stop and then, like I say, there was literally one dude there and I'd started like eighth for the day um, and the guys that started behind me still hadn't come in on their three-minute gaps on, on me. So I was like, shit, I'm still I'm still good. Like at the moment, like really no one's pulled time. I've probably only lost maybe about four minutes to the guy that's here um, and, and that was about it. So I was like, damn, all right, sweet. I've got to put the helmet back on. So... Put the helmet, well, not damn, but I was like, yeah, I've got to put the helmet back on and keep going and charge on. Um, so then that was like that stage you got through, you got to stage through stage five, uh, four and then five. Uh, rest day, which was kind of good just to kind of get things to calm down again. Stage six was decent. Um, just then seven and eight, they were just really big long days. They were like three, I think it was like 331 day and 360 the next um so they were i think they were like the longest stages of the rally um which just put just a shit ton more pressure on the wrist and and more pain and um and then like i say stage eight was like really the day i had to make a decent push to try and claw myself in onto the podium somewhere and then just situate myself for a last good two stages to to finish on a podium if that was in reach and i still why <clears throat> Still by then, by stage eight, I still didn't really think a, a, a podium would even still be possible. But um, So were you, like, why were you trying to finish? Like, if you didn't think that the podium was possible, the win obviously wasn't on your radar. Like, why mm. why try and finish? Like, like, at the end of the day, like, it's... Um, my my contracts depend on results and stuff like and and still even though if it wasn't a podium finish if i could be in that top five which i was in that top five area um it still does look decent on paper and it still i could still kind of hold my head high when i if i cross the finish line and say yeah for what i the pain i've just put up with and the, the wrist not being 100 percent and still broken um it still kind of looks decent on paper to me anyway for sure um, and it still just shows to the team with Red Bull KDM and, and anyone else. Um, at the end of the day, uh, you're always you're always fighting to try and keep your keep your ride. Really, there's always someone that's at the not at the back of the field, but there's always someone next in line behind you that wants your seat and wants your spot. So, um, like when you put it to the whole the whole world, there's only four factory KTM motorcycles that that have position there's only four seats um so 
and obviously they can be easily I can be easily replaced no problem like it's, and they're the best bike like you don't at this point especially with failures no, that we've seen like you don't really a, want to be riding another bike than a KTM at this point pretty much or like a Husky because they're the same thing the same thing basically but it's yeah, eighteen in a row. That just shows how strong the bike is, and it's um and the. But it's the, not the, just the bike; it's like the whole thing. Oh, yeah, you know what I mean? It's, like it's it, the whole crew, the yeah, whole team, the whole setup, the everything that goes there from people back in the factory to the people that are actually at the race to the the setup to then the bikes and then to their riders. Like it's it it's big a big chain reaction, big chain effect. Um, so it, there's there's so many factors that go into it for sure, but it's like uh. You, yeah, I, I just, like I say, I just wanted to finish the damn thing and just be, if I could be in top five, like, I was going to be over the moon and stoked with that. So I never, never expected a win. But now with pushing through, I'm so damn glad I pushed through. Like, it, it, it worked out at the end of the day. And it now just shows that, like, I'm definitely a force that's going to be there every day. And, and, and no matter what, how bad the day is going to get, I'm going to put up with it and, and try and get to the finish line. And it's just, I think that is going to be a, like a big confidence boost to me. And I think that's a bit of a confidence breaker for, for the other riders. Like that's, so it's like, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of hoping they're sitting at home going like, shit, we just like I kind can't of, beat this dude. Can't, we just didn't beat this dude. And he just had a broken wrist. Like it's, that was broken five weeks ago, but for sure as hell at the moment, it's not healed. Um, yeah, just hopefully that's a bit of a confidence breaker. But like at the end of the day, I could go into the next rally next year and do the same thing, get lost and be 100% perfectly healthy and fit, no problem. Yeah, and lose. And, and, I, just, yeah. and I lose a race because I, I made one navigation error. So mm. it, there's so many factors in it that can just change a whole whole race, but just we just put a good consistent rally together over the whole 10 days and it just um we situated ourselves in the best spot possible and it worked out so it's cool there's something to be said like what you just said i i really do believe in the fact that like once you overcome something once and then you're like we kind of found something here like this was less than ideal but i still did it and then it's like so say that day three when you're like want to quit and then you're like it's just like all right i'll just do this i'll just if i can get here and it's just like this constant like leapfrogging of yourself yeah but then you start to get this effect of like well i just keep i keep checking boxes like what's yep. to say i can't just keep doing it just can't keep checking those boxes i'm doing every day at the moment if i just keep checking them i th- think hopefully something good at the end of it's going to come out like and that's that was pretty much about it and it was just just like a snowball effect it just it just kept rolling on and and every day it was just like i come back in and like i say i think i finished stage seven and it was like where the position i finished was the best possible spot that you could be in to start stage eight to then being that result that I finished in stage eight was the perfectly best spot you could be in to start stage nine mm. to be in front because the lot the stage nine was a mass start with like the yeah basically the ten dudes that I was battling for the for the ride with like for the for the overall with and all I really had to do was just like stay, stay with yeah. them and just gauge off them so stage nine for me was a little bit easier because. 
I sat behind the guys, kind of, they did the navigation and whatnot, but everywhere they went, like, I could see if they dropped off something or if they Mm. were climbing something or if they hit, like, a small bump kicker. Like, I was able to adjust and get away from it or not hit it as hard or fast. And all those ridges, like, how coming back to where Pablo went, went, had his crash, like, going over those ridges... Next thing, if you if you see one guy hit the brakes really hard, then you know something's coming. Like it's it, it's all on, but like it's all off. Sorry. So then, if you see a guy, he gets chops off the throttle, and then next thing, he just winds the thing back on, and he's full gas and going again. Like that little bit of a chop off in the throttle doesn't feel like much when you do it yourself, but when you're behind someone and you you just see him chop off, then straight back on the throttle, you you know you, you can know just, you can be full gas yeah. wide open. And you make so much ground on them, like it—it it literally, it feels like they've just—they've just sat still for two seconds, and you just then straight on the back of them, and then you then you can kind of back off, get them, let it get away again, and then they they go over the next one, do the same thing, and it's just like you—you you can literally just feel like you're kind of cruising for the day when you've got somebody in front of you. So because it's like the thinking that they have to do that you don't have to do that I don't have to do. Like it's it, like it's, they're they're like oh, I wonder what's on the other side, I wonder what's on the side, then they back off. Oh no, we're good. Wow, full gas again, and then it's like for me, it's just like all right, yep, he's has he's still there. I can still see him. It's just dropped, he not dropped off, not, and it's just wide open and kind of just taking in the cruise and taking in the ride and then the views a little bit. So it's yeah, like I say, it just it just situated us perfect in every stage, and um, yeah, when then we were able to try and hold her off on stage ten, but that was that was about the thing of Dakar Rally, mate, and it just normal chaos and carnage of it all. Yeah, kind of normal, I guess. Sometimes. The fact that you, yeah, broken wrist and still won. It's not, probably not been done by too many people. It's always normal. So what's the plan then now? Like you've obviously, you're going to be doing some media stuff the next few days or whatever, but, and then obviously the Australia Day party. Is Judd coming up? I'd say so. I hope he does. I hope so. Um, Yeah, so, but what, like, I guess shit's up in the air with you because of the wrist. Like, you you really need to know. But, like, you kind of can take some time off now, right, for a bit? Yeah, like a little bit for sure. Like, it's, um, like I say, you're complaining about me not fixing my haircut up. At the moment, I still haven't been to the doctors because of the media stuff all day today. Yeah, but your haircut affects me. Yeah. Your wrist doesn't, man. Your haircut affects Australia at the moment. It affects everybody. That's for that's for sure. It's just not the wrist that affects me, and that's it. So the haircut affects everyone. But don't that's be it. selfish. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I need to fix it up. Sorry, guys. I'll, I'll get onto it. But yeah, no. Like, as I say, I haven't been to the doctors yet to go and get a scan or an X-ray, which I think tomorrow will be the day um, if I can get an appointment um, to go and get the scans and X-rays between some media stuff and that still tomorrow. Um, we'll go and do that, and then. Tomorrow, if that all goes to plan, then we'll we'll be able to make a game plan what goes on from there then. So uh, if it's nothing major, which damn fingers crossed, it, it's not nothing major and it's just basically I've got to put my arm in a splint for a little bit and just keep it still and just let it rest and get figured out, um, then w- that's what we've got to do. And then just got to take a little bit of time off and... Um, just try yeah, just catch up on everything that I need to do and just say, yeah, some like sponsorship appearances and, and things like that and just running around and um but yeah, like if she geez, if I go to the doctor's tomorrow and he says, Mate, nothing's moved and nothing's out of the way and 
whatnot. Yeah, it's sore, but yeah, you you're still good. Um, but mate, it's it's full steam ahead for sure. I'll still give it some time off and a bit of a break, but um, mate, I don't like sitting still, so it's just uh, yeah. If I can be racing uh, a bike tomorrow, I'll race it. If I can race a car tomorrow, I'd race it. If yeah, I'm race a camel tomorrow i'd race on a camel like it's just just i don't care whatever gets thrown our way i'd have a crack at it and and go but it's uh just playing on this thing a little bit at the moment we'll just we'll see um but yeah it's going to be a full full year ahead like as usual um if all goes to plan and um so i got the five rounds of world championship on the motorcycle uh again with the red bull kdm guys basically dakar in 2020 um, which is 350 days away um, from the start. So, but no one's counting, so it's all good. Um, and then um, Team Triton, basically, yeah, I'm going to kind of do some some more of the races with that again this year. Do you think uh, you'll try and do Baja again with Bryce? I hope so. Um, definitely would really love to try and do Baja 1000 again with uh, with Bryce. That's that like was, a whole another podcast. That's another whole podcast, yeah, we could definitely talk about. Mm. Um, that was the kind of like for the, I guess the end of 2000 well 2018 that was pretty much winning the world championship and the Baja 1000 to go with Bryce and race there was like pretty much my two biggest highlights of the year and pretty much yeah of of my career and stuff as well aside from from the Dakar win uh, in 16 but um yeah, to, to be a part of a, a program like that with Bryce Menzies and stuff was was pretty damn badass. Like that was, that thing was like uh, he, he he just built that old brand new uh, all wheel drive trophy truck. Um, that's basically, um, I don't know, you really can't compare it to anything. It's way better than a Ferrari and a Lamborghini. Like it's just that truck is the best thing that's on four wheels in off-road racing at the moment by far and um yeah for him to like let me wheel and drive that thing with him and um have him trust in me to not destroy this thing on him because like i say it's brand new to him this this truck's only done now two races um so i think he did vegas to reno in it um and then baja 1000 was its very next outing and um yeah so i was pretty much nearly the second third person at the wheel of this thing so it was uh yeah that thing's like a thousand bit over a thousand odd horsepower uh all-wheel drive um about yeah meter odds worth of the suspension in it uh it's a six-speed sequential paddle shift um truck like it it is like the finest built truck that you can be in 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 the world for sure like it's it's crazy so every panel on that thing even down to like the the throttle like the foot throttle it's like basically shaped to his foot and we basically got both the the same size foot it's carbon fiber like it's every panel that holds like a, a wire in place with bolt and screw the the little clip part is carbon fiber like it's it it is one hell of a damn expensive trophy truck. Um, I'm guessing on figures for sure around a million odd dollars plus, um, a little bit plus um, to build that thing and yeah, to let him have confidence in me to wheel the thing, which like I say, I don't really have too much four wheel experience and, and, and whatnot. Um, 
to show that but yeah we've been able to podium a couple of races and stuff on four wheels and and do some stuff there it was it was pretty amazing experience but like i say yeah we can definitely do another podcast on that and yeah, that talk might, about that whole thing i haven't even really spoke to you about that you, we, yeah. i should get maddie on that with you as well maybe yeah. we'll do that in the new studio yeah for um, sure we'll get maddie in as well because maddie came over with it all and yeah. um, and dave and stuff but yeah maddie's a little bit more easily accessible and stuff and um but yeah they get that whole program like mate it realistically there's so much stuff that those guys take down there like it's menzi's own basically a whole hotel complex that they basically bought and they just they shut the doors to it for uh the whole year except for three times a year which they use it for the san Felipe bay 250 the baja 500 and the baja 1000 and then other than that the hotel just sits there empty but it's fully furnished ready to house anybody there they have like six uh, odd chase trucks that have basically almost nearly any spare part um, that is on that trophy truck inside them trucks for all the pit stops down there. There's two odd um, big parts trucks that like carry all the fuel drums and stuff like that down there. They then take three pre-runners down there. So there's uh, Bryce just pretty much built, redone and rebuilt his whole pre-runner that he drives um which i think it's a race works built um chassis and based off the, the the ford raptor body and whatnot um yeah those things are so sick those things like literally the badass the most, best truck like, in australia yeah would not be as good as the pre-runners as the that pre-runners they that they use yeah 100 yeah, it's like it's literally a race truck because jesse's ones cab. are sick too yeah jesse jesse jones ones are sick as and amazing as well like he he virtually has the same thing as what bryce has got and and jesse's got two of them as well um so at one point there like it was just crazy to see that there was six pre-runners um two trophy trucks um chase trucks vehicles uh like Bryce, he flies down there um, in his jet. So there's he's got his jet sitting at the airport that he flew down in. Um, like, but at the end of the day, Bryce, like all this stuff, all this money that's sitting there, like Bryce is just like a normal everyday dude say, as like, well. Like it's you add on top. Like I've only met him one time. Nicest dude ever. Nicest dude you can meet. Yeah. Like it just and and the whole family like that. Steve's yeah. unreal. Um, and that's yeah, like for them guys to have the confidence in me for the amount of money that was sitting there. Um, yeah, it, that's it was, a tip it was, of the cap to you tip, for sure. Tip of the cap for sure as well. So there's like there's my Dakar wins, and then pretty much the tip part of it was probably about there. To whereas like even though we didn't win, um, but just to be wheeling that thing and being a part of that crew and team and stuff was like definitely it's another huge big highlight to my to my whole life really so it's um cool really gra- rad crew team like mechanics and everything like that we all we all got along well um they all love the aussie aussie lingo um yeah they, the best one they think they picked up was hey mate it's too easy no problem <laughs> so it's a I think they still now just tag Love things it. in here and stuff here and there and mate ah oh, too easy you've got this sorted mate They're even like sending that to me through Dakar and stuff ah oh, too easy you're good you're good you're going well mate it's all good so um, I think that's the other part too is just love having that Aussie lingo in it and cruising along from there but yeah like I say we'll save that one for another podcast and we'll explain into a whole bit more of a depth of that whole thing and um, give them boys some recognition for what badass stuff that they do here's the plan 
No, don't no, no, make no, no. plans. Here's the plan. Listen, you will like this plan. Plans this, don't work. No, right? this is a good plan. This is one of my better plans. Bryce Menzies, what you need to do, <laughs> right? You take that jet, you fly here in time to be here for Saturday. Saturday is Australia Day. <laughs> Is it Saturday? Is it Saturday? Yeah, sat- Saturday. Saturday is Australia Day. So he's got time. Yep. So if he leaves, when would it be? He needs to leave Thursday yep. in the US. So he's got time. He flies here. We send it for Australia Day. And then you and Bryce jump on the podcast together to talk on about... On Sunday. Like, where we all full No, game? not on Sunday. Let's maybe... Th- let's do like a Tuesday podcast. A few Pro- beers. We can definitely... We can explain oh, yeah, a hair, whole lot more. Yeah, those, hair of the dog. Yeah, <laughs> hell yes. We'll be, we'll be definitely secondhand when being dragged for the desert for sure. But we'll... We'll explain some damn good stories down there, so... Bryce, that's a call-out. That's an official call-out for you to jump And then on the other plane. official call-out for Bryce as well is he's got to come here and race Fink. Do Fink, like, for sure. That's, that's now, mate, that, that's the least I can kind of do for him now and repay him is that, yeah, Take for sure as hell, Wheel it. I want to I want to do the double thing at Fink and want to win that thing at Fink. We, we, we're still in the plans a little bit with that, uh, whether we, we'll race Fink with the two wheels and stuff out there at the moment, but... Um, at the end of the day, I'll I'll easily easily 100% give up that seat of my truck for him to come over here and wheel uh, wheel that thing in in Fink. And I don't like being passenger, don't like being bitch, but I will jump in the passenger side to that and r- run him through through Fink if he's willing and wanting to do it. So it's just uh, yeah, I definitely want to be racing thing myself for sure. But um, I'm sure I think that at the end of the day, that would be so sick to see him a, come and do that. It's yeah, definitely for for letting me do what I did over there. I think it definitely could be the least of the things I could do for him back over here. So it's uh, call outs there. This, I've definitely mentioned it to him a few times, and um, now this is like now it's on podcast. Official, now yeah. it's like definitely official. So we're like seven people will listen to this. Yeah, so. what, what you did a live cross before, and we had seven people listen. So that, yeah, no, we're sweet. Like, we're we're like, good. Like, we're dialed, mate. So it was like nine. <laughs> yes, hitting hitting the big numbers, mate. Wait till you hit double figures. Oh no, and I'm waiting. No. Yeah. Don't worry, I'll buy you a Happy Meal for when you do that, so... Oh, build your own, as Pete would ask for. Yeah, build... <laughs> <laughs> you know I'll splurge out, mate. I'll, I'll build you one, build mate. Your own. Right. I'll um, build your own. All right, well, we'll wrap it up here for this Thank one. Thank God, get off. Get me mate, off you, you mate. haven't shut up this whole time. I've barely said anything. I've been getting heaps of shit for talking too much, so I just wanted to Good. sit here and shut just... up then and <laughs> yeah, piss you're, off. You're with everybody else. Yeah, I'm shut with, yeah, up. Yeah, shut up. Yeah, you talk too much <laughs> shit. Exactly. Don't... Li- Toby's like, I've been saying this for years. Yep, 100%. Been saying it for years. Get him off. No one listens. Nah, thanks for coming on, mate. No uh, worries, brother. I can't. I can't even talk shit on this one. I just, you did good, mate. It's about bloody time you actually didn't talk shit about me. So you I was did all right. good. You did good. I don't exactly. have nothing. I got nothing. Nah, thanks for coming on. Good. I know you've and that's got very a lot of rare because this guy always talks a lot of shit. So Big time. Got nothing um, for you. All I've got is love this time. It's a weird feeling. That's a very fucking <laughs> weird feeling. Oh, I really don't know. That's as scary as your head. Yeah, I'm, I, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm speechless to that. Dude. I don't know what to say when you actually say love. I didn't think that word just would only, ever come out of your mouth. Just only got love for you on this one. Shit. Yeah, I've only got love for you. All right, All right, that's me to leave. That's my cue out. All right, thanks for coming on, bro. Cheers, mate. You. All right, that's it for this episode of the podcast thank you everybody for listening uh thanks to my main man mick for coming up and helping me uh as well as maddie uh for letting me use alpine group this hopefully will be the last time we do a podcast not in our own studio uh 
construction is going to get underway tomorrow, which I'm pretty excited about, which also means live YouTube, uh, or maybe not for the first couple. That actually might take a little bit to figure out. Um, but yeah, things are happening in 2019. It's, uh, it's going to be a good year. Uh, I'm super excited and yeah, started the year with a couple of bangers. The Rob Beams podcast was rad. And then this Toby one, I'm assuming is going to do pretty well as well. So thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you for your continued messages on Instagram uh, and Facebook. Definitely try to get back to everyone. Um, Yeah, thank you very much. And I will talk to you guys next time. (laughs)